Please note, for maximum picture quality, it may be necessary to adjust the tracking control on your VCR. Not much has changed in the spirit of public transport since the 1970s, apart from the cost. It's very likely by getting on a train you're going to experience long delays, sit next to a variety of interesting drunk passengers, you can hear casual racism, and put your life in general jeopardy. Where else do you expect? To live forever? This week we board a nice subway train for a little ride with the underground of New York. This is Adjust Your Tracking, a podcast where we're on an adventure to watch a century of cinema decade by decade, year by year, and I'm one half of your host, Liam Delaney. And my co-host is... Oliver Jones. And how are you doing, Ollie? Um, I'm okay, thanks. Not too bad. I'm quite excited because we're, we're back to New York this week for our little film fun. I can tell you if I've been somewhere or yeah, not. Yeah, we can play the the new the, the, big, the biggest section on our podcast is Ollie telling us if he's been to a place in New York or not yet. But even better than that, our guest this week is going to be able to help us with that a little more. Cause yeah, because you live there. Exactly. <laughs> I did indeed. Hey, Liam, do you want to redo that intro? Do you want another take? Never. Okay. <laughs> Just roll with it. <laughs> One take Delaney. One take Delaney. That requires professionalism that I don't have. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. Uh, everybody, just so you know, we all know he bungled a few words there, but we're just going to go for it. Yeah, I bungled about three, was it? Fuck it. You only live once. Yeah, exactly. You only record once. Yeah, that's it. That should be the name of the podcast. Hell yeah. Yeah, one and through. What's that, yeah. Clint Eastwood? That's a Clint Eastwood style of podcasting. <laughs> all right. Move on. Set up and move on. <laughs> that That's a better name for the show, too. <laughs> set up and move on <laughs> how are you doing brandon are you doing well i'm doing great i watched this good movie and feeling good about it yeah me too actually i really yeah i can't wait to talk about it let's get in let's do other things first let's do whatever the fuck you do on this show <laughs> i don't know what we do on this show i think this isn't this the bit where you talk about other movies you've watched ah yeah what have That's i watched it. nothing well Next. done no, I did actually. I've watched. I watched Hamilton this week, which I guess yeah, you can count as same. a film. Um, nah, it doesn't really. But who cares? It's pretty great. It's yeah. It's the, the release or whatever at the moment that everyone's talking about. But um, I mean, I I went to see Hamilton on stage quite a while ago now. God, when was that? Twenty eighteen, probably. Um, I don't know. I keep entering the uh, the draw, the weekly draw or daily draw, whatever, to try and win oh, free to get tickets, tickets for, for a tenner. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I mean, it was fantastic on stage, and I absolutely. Well, at that time when I went to go see it, I was completely obsessed with it. I was listening to the soundtrack like all the time, um, and I knew all the songs going into it as well. So, but um, it's been a while since I kind of heard any of the songs again. So then to watch the Disney kind of presentation of it was actually it brought it a bit to life again, actually, and I kind of fell in love with it a little more. This is my first time. This is my first time seeing it actually. Did um, you enjoy it? I yeah, I mean I heard the songs before and the songs like divorced from the show are just mm. were just pretty good like they were okay. Yeah. Um in my mind. Um yeah. I'm not a huge musical theater guy so I wasn't like super into it. Yeah. Um but was excited to see the show anyway. Uh and really enjoyed the shit out of it. The, the I try I thought it would be a fun thing to do with the family so I had the the wife and daughter there and both of them sure. were just not into it at all. <laughs> Oh really? Like, yeah, <laughs> which was I don't I don't really I was pretty a little confused uh, by that. It seemed like an easy win for everybody. Yeah, I would have guessed uh, that. I that was my that was that. I thought this is the easiest win in the history of wins. Um, but uh, Rosalie, the little one, 
who usually likes musicals quite a bit, was like, yeah. there's too much singing, too much information. Don't care about the, whatever's going on here. Goodbye. She also likes history a lot. I was very confused by this reaction. Weird. Um, yeah. I think she's at the age now where anything I say is wrong, no matter what. Sure. So it was yeah. my, you know, so she it was just, your mistake just, for introducing it. If she'd yeah, found it naturally, it would have been exactly right. Thing. And uh, the other thing me and the missus have been watching is the hip hop documentary on Netflix, Hip Hop Evolution. I don't know is, anything about that. Yeah. it's If you want to know the history of hip hop, it's pretty good. Um, and she was interested and essentially now is like a proper hip hop head now all about it. And so once this show starts, she's like, where are the, where are the bars? What is this nonsense? Like these, these, these rhymes are fucking weak. <laughs> I feel like I don't need to watch that. Cause I, um, filmed a seminar with KRS one yeah. about a year ago and man, that guy can talk. Yes. He's on, he's who, in it. Who's KRS one for the, for me. KRS One, he's like one of the founding kind of hip hop artists, I guess. Yeah, he's one of the first first great like MCs from the mid eighties, mid to late eighties. Um, but he he's such a wicked dude, and like he calls it the Church of Hip Hop, like it's like a religion almost, pretty much. And uh, he's very into it. You know, it, it's cool. it's more than just a lifestyle, and that it's like a religion in in his eyes, which you know could be <laughs> when he when he came onto the when he came onto the show i said mary louise that's the guy ollie interviewed <laughs> and she had no idea what i was talking about she didn't know who yeah, he was, was meant he was meant to talk for an hour he t- spoke for four hours and i was <laughs> shitting bricks because he was he had my phone in my in, my, in his pocket because it had my clip mic attached to it mm-hmm. and i forgot to charge my phone that day and i had like 30 percent battery <laughs> when i started it and when he handed it me back, I had like 1% left. So I just got it all. Well done. That's professionalism again. <laughs> professionalism. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say about Hamilton, just, um, I really like, like, I think it's a really good way to kind of present musicals though as well, or present kind of live theatre in yeah, filming it professionally and properly like this, because it's, I mean, Lynn has said about Hamilton, and I absolutely agree with him, that it wouldn't make a good film because I don't think live theatre and live musicals make good films. I don't think that I don't think there's a good translation there, especially in something like Hamilton, which is a proper, you know, um, opera. Uh, Little Shop of Horrors called and would like to have a Yeah, and West Side, West, Side, West Side Story is currently slapping you upside the head. Well, I guess so. <laughs> it's just it's just like stuff like Les Mis and things like that. When it's an, actually an opera rather than a musical that has dialogue in it as well, I think sometimes the presentation on film can be a bit kind of weird. And if it works like this anyway, just film it and release it on Disney. If it doesn't right. have the stereotypical acted parts, then I think, yeah, you're kind of... What is the point then? But, it's a tougher It's a tougher like nut to crack, for sure. Like if you were going to do a film version, you would have to be pretty inspired to figure out how to how to do it. Yeah, and but either the, way, I, I enjoyed it in this format quite a bit. And what I like about Hamilton as well is is it's I like all the songs, but what shocked me when I went into it is how awesome the stagecraft was as well, and how the company yeah, kind sure. of moves the um, stage around, like becomes props, moves stuff around, everything's flowing all the time. Um, it I didn't really realize by just listening to it how kind of you know expertise all that was as well. So I would that's say that kind the, of really fun to watch. That was my my takeaway as well was how great the like the singer the performers are yeah and yeah, which yeah. doesn't entirely come through in the cast album somehow i don't really know mm. how but the energy of the performances up and down is like off the charts and yeah yeah uh, yeah which is why i thought the reactions from everyone else now was really weird 
I guess if you listen to the pre-recorded audio, then they're not doing the running around and dancing and stuff, which all adds to it. And That's I mean, I haven't it. seen Hamilton, so I don't know what they do. But um, I don't know if a cast recording is actually a show or not. I don't know if they do that. I wanted to wait until I could see it in person because I was going to go and see it, and then COVID hit, and then um, so I don't know whether to hold off and wait till I can see it in you know live or just just watch the. I would watch this. I'd say do both. Yeah. Just do both. Yeah, do, yeah, but I kind of want to get it in its purest form first. you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, like cocaine. I get it. <laughs> but I would say, like, I, I always said to people who wanted to go watch it live anyway, is don't go seeing it without listening to the album first because it's really dense. And it actually took me a couple of times of hearing the album before I actually got everything that was going on. And I think if you went to go see it live without hearing the album and without understanding the kind of it to go in there, you might actually not appreciate it as much and you might actually want to go back and watch it again because you'll suddenly realize maybe you wish you'd noticed this to start with so i would actually recommend hearing it and watching it before going to see it live. i kind of don't want to do that though i like just letting it wash over you yeah it's like when i saw book of mum for the first time i was so glad i didn't hear any of the songs or knew anything about it before i watched it. not really it a dense text a though <laughs> <laughs> The only um, positive, or the big positive for me for listening to the album first, I can't speak to watching the, sh- watching the uh, filmed version versus the live version, was that the, for me, the hype of the show was just completely out of control and insane. Okay. Uh, and and uh, total, frankly, over the top. It is great, yeah. but everybody relax. Um, and listening <laughs> to the songs first made, like allowed me to enjoy the show for what it is rather than being disappointed that it's not like turning me into a transformer and shooting me to the moon or some shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, cause the songs are, like I said, I, they're listening to them by themselves. A, a, a few of them, I was like, I didn't really even like on their own. Uh, so I listened to the album and thought, okay, that was fine. And then flash forward to this, I've got that baggage of the hype, like off my back yeah. and, and could just, you know, take it in and enjoy it. Um, uh, for for what it is, which is really really fun, really really well done, really really well performed American musical, rather than necessarily like a revolutionary uh, form destroying, you know, age defying piece of art uh, in my sure. head anyway. It's just so nice. I, I mean, I love musical theatre and I love theatre in general, but it's 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 was so big in a large way because it's so rare that something comes across as a live musical that's like new and right. actually impacts. A lot of that's the why the hype. That's why the hype was so big. Yeah, a lot. I mean, a lot of the money that lot of the stuff that makes money on like Broadway is actually you know stuff like the Disney musicals, yeah, like Lion King and stuff like that, and and re- almost remakes really. And it's so rare that someone comes with something new and actually it's huge, right? Um, and I think that was one of the biggest part of it. I mean, Dear Evan Hansen is another one that I hope they film, but um, they're probably talking about trying to make that into a film, which again, it's. Not an especially unique story. It just—it's really nice to watch those cyber stories on stage. And that's yeah, not everything. Really, that's not everything needs is. to be a film. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. As much as I like them, I also went on a—I also went on a Herzog kick over the last week and a half. Okay. Uh, watched his new one, Family Romance LLC, which was pretty good, although very experimental. So most people probably wouldn't like it. Um, <laughs> in which he he takes like a camcorder essentially by himself as however old he is now 90 million years old and goes to Japan (laughs) and convinces this guy who um, runs a company in Japan in real life to 
uh, either he or somebody else plays like acts out as a family member. Like if you don't have someone to come to the wedding or something. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because they do that in Japan, don't they? You can hire like people to be your kind of partner and wife, and or like to and your, like your your or your prom date or whatever it is. Yeah. 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 Uh, and so he he goes to this guy who runs this company, uh, and he convinces him convinces him to essentially play himself in like a dramatized version of these events I see. Uh, okay. and creates like some vignettes about now you're pretending to go to a funeral. Now you're helping some guy deal with uh, career trouble at the bullet train and all this kind of bizarre little scenes. <laughs> um, and it's filmed super cheaply. It looks like absolute trash, but really? the, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, in, in very Herzogian fashion finds real gems within that premise uh in in places you wouldn't expect Uh, so recommend but not not a mainstream affair sure sure sure. uh and then i have you're the uh, first person i've heard talk about that actually no one else has talked about the new herzog at all i think in any circles it's a small it's a small film it's a small film it's it's definitely like second tier herzog it's not what you go for right off the bat i wouldn't say sure sure the other two docs i watched were wheel of time Yep. which was about a mandala being made at a Buddhist, yeah. uh, which was amazing, a Buddhist yeah, like, festival. Like time. And Little Dieter Needs to Fly, which I'd never seen before somehow. No, um, I haven't seen that one. Which is the backstory for that feature he made with Christian Bale. Uh, okay. Rescue Dawn? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so yeah, Rescue, Rescue Dawn, Dawn. Is, yeah. is based on a true story, and this was the documentary that he did first about the real guy. Oh, I did not which, know that even existed. Yeah. yeah. Which is amazing, like completely incredible, as you can imagine. I actually watched a Herzog this week. Oh wow, Herzog! It's, a, it's only a short one. It's like twenty minutes, and it's when he eats his shoe. Oh yeah, oh, classic. Yeah. Is it? It's not. Wait, it's not Werner eating the shoe, isn't it? It's someone else. Yeah, it's yeah, Werner, yeah. Uh, Herzog eats his shoe. It's, it's because he he said he would do it if Errol Morris ever completed Heaven uh, Gates of Heaven. Yeah, that's uh, right. Uh, would, uh, yeah, wasn't it? Um, Thin Blue Line, not Gates of Heaven. No, it was Gates of Heaven. Oh, okay, my bad. I always thought it was Thin Blue Line. No, Thin Blue Line was quite a few years after that, I think. Like about eight years after. Really? Yeah, I think so. I'm confused. 88 is Thin Blue Line. Oh, you're right. Gates of Heaven is 78. Holy shit. Yeah, man. That's a great film. He did Fog of War, didn't he, as well? Yeah, hell yeah. Documentary. In terms of other stuff, though, I tried to re-watch... Rise of Skywalker since the first time since the cinema today. Jesus, why? Why? And uh, I, I couldn't get past the weird snake thing. <laughs> it's interminable, isn't it? I, I said that last it's... time we talked about it on the show because I rewatched it. It's just, yeah, it's bore. It's so boring. I had to watch it twice in theaters, but I almost I slept through both of them a little bit. <laughs> Wait, the one didn't you see one at midnight though uh, rich Howell made me fucking go to a midnight one which he didn't I, make you i felt really bad i was gonna feel really bad if i if he was by himself um because he's a good friend and i like him um and i wasn't both of both of us uh flaking out on that would have been pretty poor well yeah i mean i i couldn't help that one but, sure uh... whatever you say <laughs> i took one for the team yeah but when i saw it with liam I hadn't slept for about oh I remember forty odd hours, so I was thinking ah oh, maybe I've just done this film a bit of a disservice. No because, no no, you know I was very tired. No, it's very bad. But no, I tried to watch it again today, and I just fell asleep watching it. So. Yeah, can we just say like we much we don't ever need to talk about it again? No, no, that's fine. We, we just move on. Just yeah. it's gone. 
It's I think gone the world just move on from Star Wars now. I'm done. Yeah, I'm done with it. It's managed to kill it. It's so it's a fascinating thing. It, how many movies did it ever really need? Really? Mm. Did it really need? Does it really need eighty thousand cartoons and TV shows and comics and novels? Did it really and, need more it, than two films. Mm. It, it, no, it, ultimately it didn't. <laughs> it doesn't. That's need, okay. Um, yeah, I, I'm. I can't be able to talk about Star Wars. We were talking about that yeah. actually because for our seventies series, we we always want to do a classics revisited kind of okay. episode. So we watch we watch something again that we've seen a lot. And like okay. the obvious one for the seventies is like Star Wars because nah. And me and Ollie both said to each other, "No, no chance. I have no interest in watching. I'm no, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to watch it." I mean, I'll watch the first Star Wars any single day, but I don't think anyone needs to talk about it anymore. Yeah, uh, agreed. I don't know what I've got to say that nobody that anybody's said already. Do you know what I mean? It's kind right. of yeah. It's all been said. It's all it's, done. Same with Jaws. Same with Jaws. yeah. What else? Yeah. What else is there to say? Yeah. Which wonderful film and i watch it a lot but do, yeah. do you know what else there is to say about jaws i was this week years old when i learned quint was english me too <laughs> me too i was gonna mention that i had i i kept on looking it up like, i couldn't I believe like, it I, I actually english. i'm not rec- i'm still not recovered from this <laughs> you were idiots you I, didn't know robert shaw was english no i had no idea i swear to god you i thought he was american <laughs> yeah i'd never seen him in anything but jaws um, I haven't. He's in some other classic films that I've been meaning to watch, but I haven't yet. Um, so I, I just mean, I no didn't. Idea. Re- I think I've seen him in stuff and not really realised it was him, which is a bit embarrassing. But like, because I've seen Russia with Love, and I didn't know he was in it, and I've seen The Stink, and I didn't realise he was in it. So I, I don't know. I, I knew him as Quint more than anything else, and Quint's American, and that's. That oh, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, his his performance of, as Quint is so convincing <laughs> that it literally is impossible that he's actually. So I, I actually, actor? nah, I don't believe it. I, this is all a ruse. I don't. I don't believe any of it. I was uh, literally when I think it's Walter Matthau goes something like, um, "He's either English or a fruitcake," which is a line I wrote down. Like, don't know what that line means. <laughs> um, I was like, "Is he putting on an English accent? Why is Why right. is Robert Shaw being English in this?" Was right. literally what I thought to myself during this. I wasn't sure it was the same guy because I can't remember <laughs> a- anything, as we've said uh, in the past, but. And he's got his funny mustache on, and and oh, the performance is so completely different because clearly he was a great actor. Yeah. Um, and like halfway through the film, I'm looking at his face, going, "That looks really familiar. Uh, this guy looks real familiar. Who is this? That can't be Quint from Jaws, can it? Why is he putting on the British accent? Same thing. Why is he English? I don't understand." And then when the you film all was... know me, you know what I do for a living. Right. That's Very my, good. That's my Robert Shaw. Is he it's Minnesota? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, I think you should do Brummy Brummy Quint, Ollie. Brummy Quint. <laughs> What's going on? I don't know. It doesn't know. It can't. You can't do it. Sharks in the water. No, that sounds Australian. <laughs> How come you can't do your own accent? I don't understand. Because uh, I'm not. A, I'm not a yam yam. Talking of Jaws. Talking of Shaw. Have you guys ever seen the other? Well, I guess we we know the answer to this because both of me and um, Brandon have never watched Robert Shaw or anything else. But he did the other um, Robert uh, Peter Binchley novel in seventy seven. Uh, the the what now? No, nope. you know Peter don't know about that. Peter Binchley who wrote Jaws. The the the, the follow up to Jaws by you know was called The Deep, which you okay. know, count Jaws too. And Robert Shaw was the lead in it as well because of um because of like a, you know Quint. 
and it's got I like a Nick know. Nolte in it as well. And oh, I wow. yeah, he only, he only died the year after that as well, didn't he? He died in like '78. Yeah. Who Robert Shaw? Yeah, yeah. Oh wow, he wasn't that old, was he? Really? He's about 50, 51, something like that. That sucks. That's not good. That's unlike not good. unlike any Morricone, that's not very good. Oh yeah, he yeah, just this week, wasn't it? I had no idea he was alive. That's me, me neither. <laughs> no, I thought he was dead years ago. It's, it's such like an old name that I just assumed. Yeah, he must have died forever ago. <laughs> when did Leone die? Leone, oh, so, Sergio yep. Leone. Yeah, it must have been a million years ago at this point. I assumed they just died like on the same day. Like they just looked at <laughs> e- they just looked at each other and went, "Okay, we're done," and just fell over. Uh, <laughs> Eighty nine, he died. Age sixty. Okay. He looked older than 60. I think he was one of those guys that always looked 60, though. <laughs> he did. <laughs> what, like, that's yeah, uh, like, um, yeah, I could confirm this by looking at a younger photo of him. Yeah, he does. He look, He was born 60. He's the. He's like a static Benjamin Button. <laughs> <laughs> but Ennio Morricone, he um he did the music for Days of Heaven as well, which I watched last week. Uh, yes, which is fantastic well. score. Yeah, amazing score. Did you see the um, obituary in the New York Times for him as well? I don't Which think was, I did. The headline was something like, uh, We came on our Kone, who did the nanny nanny na woo woo theme <laughs> <laughs> dies this week or something. And it was all written out by that. <laughs> I was, uh, Ollie and I were talking after he watched Days of Heaven. We were texting. And I was looking at, because you always forget how much Morricone had done. Like his career yeah, is just sure. ludicrous. Uh, and all due respect to everybody else, but greatest of all time, isn't he really for film scores? Oh yeah, yeah. It's just the the breadth of his work and the different types of every he's known for good, the bad, and the ugly, obviously. Um, but the, the all the days of heaven's completely different. The things completely different. Um, a I'll billion other films thing. I'm forgetting are completely. Uh, Hateful Eight's completely different again. You, you do get those musicians, though, who've just done everything. Like, Liam sent me a link to this guy, and his name's Lilo, Leland Saklar or whatever. And he's, like, a bassist, and he's worked a lot with um, Phil Collins. Do you remember sending me this, though, Liam? He's this no. bassist with a massive beard, and it's just him, like, playing oh. along to his own tracks that he's worked on. Yeah, yeah, lockdown. he's a session musician, isn't he? Yeah, and he's done a lot yeah, with, like, Phil Collins. If, yeah, I remember. If you look at his uh, Wikipedia, it's more of a case of what hasn't he worked on. He's worked right. on fucking everything. You got to look at this guy though, man. He looks like Santa Claus. That's that's me actually. Rocking out with the bass. <laughs> that was me the whole time. That's my disguise. That's my alter ego. Should we should we talk about what else happened in 1974, which is a lot quite similar to what happened last time I was on the show? Yeah, because film in 1974. I think. Well, we'll talk about I guess Godfather Part Two because we talked about the Godfather last time. I mean, it's a movie. It's it's really good. I don't know what to say about Godfather Part Two. I don't know. Like, I haven't I haven't watched it in a long, 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 long time. Like a long time. Yeah, I can't remember last. I should have watched it actually, um, to refresh in my brain, but I didn't really have a chance. But like, I don't know. I think it's insane that um, Francis Ford Coppola has two films out this year, and one of them is Godfather Part Two. I think that's well. The conversation is almost as good. Yeah, exactly. I love the conversation. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty it's, great. It's a great film. You can't blame yourself for not watching it, though, Liam. It's like it's it's longer than three. It's like nearly four hours long. <laughs> yeah, it's I can long. put that on. Just do <laughs> absorb it. But it is crazy that yeah, two films out the same year. Both of them are masterpieces. Both of them are heavy films. As you say, this is a four-hour fucking film. 
Um, yeah, it's like 200 minutes. I think uh, Conversation's not a short film as well. I think it's two hours. Um, and that's a lot of work to get that in the same year. It's and a, it's a hell, of, hell of a year. Yeah, hell of a year. Matched, matched only by Mel Brooks in the same exactly. year. Exactly. That's what I was going to lead into. <laughs> yeah. Who, has anyone had a better year than Gene Wilder and Mel Brooks this year? Like, but like, yeah, Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein, that, um, in terms of their filmography, are the best, I think. I would, oh, yeah. By far. I think I prefer Young Frankenstein to Blazing Saddles. I don't know about you. I'm guys. not sure. No, I do as well. Apparently, Blazing Saddles, there's like a. They've done three series of a TV series of Blazing Saddles that no one's ever seen. What? Okay. And and they did it because I think Mel Brooks said, I'm never going to do a sequel unless you do four series of a TV show or something like that. So they're like, fine, fuck you, we'll make it then. So they made like three or four series of this TV show, not not intending to screen it so they could get to make the sequel. And he still said no to the sequel. <laughs> That's amazing. I, well I can't even believe it being true. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's only just been found out in the last few weeks. I haven't seen those two films in a long time either, so I couldn't say which one I like more. The The joke that I remember the best from either of them is definitely the putting on the Ritz from Young Frankenstein. Yeah, by far. As yeah. legitimately one yeah, of the funniest yeah. things that's ever happened. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen them in... I haven't seen those films in... So, like, since I was a kid, I think, actually. Right. So, so it's hard to even remember them. I'll tell you what's an insane film that came out this year. Have you ever seen Zardos? I've seen bits Sean of it, Connery. but not the is whole thing. Is that the thing. Sean Connery one when he's got the interesting costume? A red mankini. Yeah, I've never seen it. I just know that picture from it. Yeah, same. Yeah, it's, it's a weird film. But it's by the guy who did Deliverance, so it's got. It's not like it's like by a bad director, but it's just such an odd film. Apparently, according to Letterboxd, and this can't be true, I've only seen 10 films that came out this year. I, I don't believe that. Well, you must have seen Chinatown. Have yeah, seen that's, Chinatown. One, that's definitely one of them. Definitely one seen Chinatown. Have any of you seen Phantom of Paradise? I haven't yet, but I mean, yeah, is that the Phantom of the Opera one when it's a bit when it's like a sci-fi rock musical? Yeah, it's like a rock opera. It's kind of like a mix of Phantom of the Opera, Dorian Gray, and like Faust. Yeah, all merged together uh, by De Palma. It's a wicked film, though. Yeah, it's great. I've seen the Parallax View, the Yakuza, which is super fun. Parallax View, yeah, wow. I've seen uh, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. And then all the oh, other cool. films we just mentioned. And of course, um, you get John Carpenter this year with Dark Star. Comes out Which I still haven't seen yet, but that's his yeah. first film, isn't it? His first film, yeah. Which... I think it's written by Dan O'Bannon as well, who kind it of is. helped create Alien. Yep. He wrote, he, wrote, he wrote Alien. He didn't help create Alien. He wrote it. Yeah, but I think he was kind of like sacked off of it though, wasn't he? Nah. There's, you know, there's a whole like big story about that, isn't there? I think. Nah, I don't he gets so, solo credit on it, doesn't he, though, as a writer? Yeah. Is he? Yeah, I don't think anyone else. Gets I, don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, we got we got a Bergman movie this year. We got a uh, what's his face uh, scenes from a marriage, and then um, okay. a woman under the influence, the Cassavetes movie, uh, which I nice. have not watched because yeah. I went I, I went on a Cassavetes marathon a few like a year ago, okay. and wasn't really loving it to be totally honest. <laughs> so I really want to catch up with this film because apparently this is like his his best one. But I'm having trouble working up to it because I didn't like, you didn't like uh, the other one. What did I see? Shadows, maybe, and and Killing of a Chinese Bookie. Oh yeah, uh, sure, okay. Which which you're supposed to really like, and I'm supposed to really like, and it has everything in it has that you should. Brandon like. Brandon should like this written all over it, and uh, was not working for me. 
I'll tell you a film I haven't seen this year, actually, that um, I really love. Well, I love the director, Sidney Lumet. Uh, eh, I can't talk. Um, Sidney Lumet, um, who obviously 12 Angry Men, A Dog Day Afternoon, and Serpico. And, but he did um, Murder on the Orient Express this year. Was that his? Like, uh... Yeah. When you got oh, Albert wow. Finney and Lauren McCall and Ingrid Bergman and John, like Sean Connery. Uh, yeah, we're, we'll talk. Martin Bolson from this film actually is in it as well. We'll definitely be talking about Sydney, and I don't know if it's Lumet or Lumet. Probably Lumet, if I'm honest, but probably I've never Lumet, been sure. Isn't it? Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, as he is maybe the like uh, undervalued, most undervalued filmmaker who ever lived. Probably. Uh, well, because every time I put one of his films on, I think, is he actually the best filmmaker who ever lived? Yeah, I watched The <laughs> Verdict recently, and I was just what got absorbed in it, going, my. This, this why doesn't pe- why don't people know this is absolutely like stunning why, why yeah. does no one talk about this ever and obviously he had Serpico the year before this I want to say yeah. is that right yeah yes yeah, year before yeah and uh, network the, the all network yeah but then the all time like best New York crime movie Dog Day Afternoon Dog Day Afternoon uh, yeah. a few years later so you can't it's really a, I think it's incredible it's Serpico um, Murder on the Orient Express Dog Day Afternoon and then Network uh, consecutive years there's no break in between them he was and a hard working man that is that is incredible yeah incredibly hard working yeah uh, uh, Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3 is in is in that in the genre of which Dog Day Afternoon is like the for me is like the king uh, and is in owes a lot stylistically I think to Lou, to Lumet. Uh so I assumed his name was going to come up quite a bit i think it probably will more but yeah um that's a film i've been meaning to watch so i might watch murder on the express before next week actually just i so. keep forgetting that 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 was his film so i'll watch anything he's directed so i definitely need to need to catch up on that one uh you've got the rise of the slasher film i guess with like black christmas and uh texas, texas chainsaw, chainsaw yeah. mask and then you've chainsaw got this year okay and you've got um spielberg's first uh, ever theatrical movie haven't you is that sugarland yep. Sugarland, yeah, and Foxy Brown comes out. Got some black exploitation going on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All types of fun stuff. I don't know what I'm looking at. Oh, there was Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. That movie kicks ass. I <laughs> know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, I've definitely seen that. Screw you, Letterboxd. I'm gonna mark that one off. I've um, I've barely seen any Godzilla films. Like, oh, I, I mean, I, yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even know where to start with them. Or... Godzilla, the, you you get those people who are obsessed with Godzilla yeah. films, and I don't know whether they think they're genuinely really, really good. Like the first one is great. The I'm first one's really good. Not. Yeah, the first one's really but, good. But like, you get those people. I think. Do you actually like movies, or do you just kind of like shit? I don't know. <laughs> they're, they're sort of like everyone's introduction to what is a fun bad movie. Yeah, okay. I guess so. You know okay. what I mean? Like, yeah. they're the introduction to the like the mystery science theater school of enjoying a bad film. Yeah, yeah. For a lot of people, is the later Godzilla sequence, which sequels, which are stupid, uh, and really some of them are. This one is terrible, uh, obviously, but hilarious at the same time. I should I should <laughs> check them out one time. I'm not massively always into that kind of it's so bad it's good vibe. No, the the first one's yeah. actually just good. Yeah, sure. Well, I should watch yeah. that at least. Yeah, what was, was was Shin Godzilla any good? I've heard it is, but I haven't. One. I haven't. Much like you, I don't like go way out of my way to watch every single Godzilla movie. But I've heard the last two. Is that the newest I, Japanese one? Then Shin I can't Godzilla. remember. There's like Shin Godzilla, and I think there was another recent Japanese one, and I've heard uh, that both of them are quite fun, but like actually good fun. 
So, like, what are the kind of type? Because what is it, a kaiju movie or something like that? Like a big man in a rubber suit. Yeah, yeah. What, what are film. the kind of ones are there then? Are there like there must be? It must must be more in Japan or that area that are kind of this kind of film. Yeah, well, there's uh, Godzilla's the king, obviously, and then you have the a bunch of other small ones that I can never. I don't remember which one's which. The, the giant turtle I've seen. Which one's that? Oh uh, yeah, which one is that? Is that Gamora? No, uh, that's a totally different thing. Uh, no, Gamera. 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 Yeah. Yeah, that's I've right. seen those. Isn't there like another one called G- Gorgo? Gorgo? No, I'm. Trying. I don't know. Not this is not my uh, genre. Well, King Kong counts as a kaiju film, does it? Yeah, definitely. Does it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Of course it does. Not a Japanese one. Not a Japanese one, but it's a yeah, similar sort of thing. It's the same. Gorgo, yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Gorgo, it's like it's like a British uh, Godzilla, basically. Oh no! What's it like? Got a bowling hat. There's no way that's good, is there? <laughs> oh, Captain Joe Ryan is salvaging for treasure off the coast of Ireland when a volcano erupts, nearly sinking his ship. Oh no! That's, that sounds good. That volcano yeah. off Ireland that brings the uh, brings the monsters. You gotta watch out for that. Yeah, the giant turtle one is Gamera, isn't it? Yeah, that's the one I meant. Yeah. I confuse it with Gamora, which is a biblical story. Totally different. Gorgo literally looks like Godzilla. You couldn't, he does, isn't it? You couldn't describe Gorgo and not describe Godzilla. There's, he's got bigger ears. That's the difference. Yeah, there's loads of knockoffs. I mean, recently you got like the host, which well, not recently, but that was a great film. The host, host is an awesome film. And then, did good. any of you see Colossal? I yeah. did. Yeah, I actually quite like that film. It was alright. It's where um, Anne Hathaway's kind of got like a psychic connection to a to a giant like monster. A, a giant monster. So whatever she does, the monster does as well. But in Japan. So if she's like hung over and drunk and falling all over the place, the monster in Japan is essentially drunk and falling all over the place. It's quite good though. But does it work the same way backwards as well? So whatever happens to the monster happens to her? No, so if she stands still and doing nothing, the monster just stands still and does nothing now. It's all connected to her basically. Then there's an then there's like another there's like another character who has the same ability. Yeah, he's but... kind of a bit he's like a bit abusive towards her, isn't he? He like fancies her and then when she kind of rejects him he she he kind of like takes it badly and I think it ends with her going to Korea or Japan and yeah. having her monster self projected back into a small town wherever the fuck. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, that's correct. Something yeah, yeah. I don't remember. It's worth it's okay. watching, like. Mm, I'll check it out. It's got it's got Anne Hathaway in it. Therefore, it's therefore, worth watching. It's worth watching. Yeah, watch. yeah, it's got that going for it. It's got Jason Sudeikis in it as well. That guy. Anyway, should we move on and talk about the film this week? Uh, it's a possibility. Do you have to intro it, or do we just dive in? Yeah, well, so well, say this week we're talking about the taking of Pelham One Two Three. One twenty-three p.m. A crowded subway train starts its run from Pelham Station in the Bronx. One forty-five p.m. Four desperate, heavily armed men seize control of the train. Open the door, or I'll blow your head off. Taking seventeen people as hostages. Your attention, please. Now then, you'll all remain seated. Anybody who tries to rise is going to get shot. I do hope I have made myself understood. 2.13 p.m. The city of New York is given one hour to come up with a million-dollar ransom. You're out of your skull. All units, stand by on the double. What's up, Z? A train's been hijacked. Millions have read it. Now you can live it. 
The taking of Pelham. One, two, three. There is no way you can get away with this. You are underground in a tunnel. At precisely 3.13, we are going to begin executing the hostages. Nothing will happen as long as you obey my orders. New York City is held powerless in the grip of four ruthless men. From the mayor's office. Don't tell me I don't want to know. To police headquarters. I've got about 50 men inside the tunnel, all wearing vests and armed with machine and submachine guns. We could fight the Third World War down there. To the nerve center of the world's busiest subway system. My only priority is saving the lives of these passengers. Maybe an hour isn't enough time. An hour is plenty of time. We agree to pay the ransom. Repeat, we agreed to pay you the money, now turn your clock off. The money has to be counted, stacked, tied, transported uptown. It just isn't physically possible. You'd be surprised what's physically possible. Column one, two, three's in motion. There's no be driving no trash. How long does it take to get all that money together anyway? Just not gonna make it. We'll never make it. The passengers are dead ducks. What the hell they expect for that lousy 35 cents to live forever? Walter Matthau, Robert Shaw. The most spectacular hijack in history. The taking of Pelham, one, two, three. This, this film's great. Yeah. This as this film as an action film is so tight and so just like, put together that it's 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 so, I don't know it's just wonderful. Like, do you want to do you want to go into a recap of the plot or do you want to talk about the film like all over the place? Yeah, we'll have a recap and then we'll bash through it. Um, okay, I mean, it's very easy to recap, isn't it? It's like basically four four people take over a subway car and they demand a million dollars, or they're going to start killing them the people they've taken hostage that's pretty yeah. much the setup in the film that's, that's not... the setup and it and it delivers upon said setup doesn't yeah, it? it delivers all that i think it's got an interesting background though um before going in because it was a incredibly popular book that right. came out a few years beforehand i think 1973 it came out uh by morton freegood freegood I, I thought it was peter something uh john Godey apparently sure. actually oh there you I'm go sorry that. peter was um, the screenwriter Oh, maybe that's maybe that's more confusing. It. Um, Hold on, let me let me get IMDb up because this film has a murderer's row crew on it. And I, I, what I love about the film is the tagline for the film is like everyone read it. Now you can live it. Like this book was so <laughs> huge, they were just like, "You love the book? Come watch this." Yeah, and it was um, the Lord of the it was the Lord of the Rings of its day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, that's not true. That's not true at all. <laughs> but um, what I what was really interesting about that and it's how kind of John Sargent gets this job because John Sargent's an interesting guy to talk about a little bit yeah for sure um, is the fact that they actually wanted Spielberg to shoot this uh, which because is they crazy were... yeah, which is crazy yeah and because they liked Sugarland Express even though I don't know if it wouldn't have got a theatre release at that point but the studio really liked Sugarland Express they would have they would have seen the dailies and whatnot. yeah yeah that must be it and uh, but they basically thought he was going to be too expensive and they thought the script and the book was so good that it was basically director proof so they'll just give it to someone cheap and they got and they got john Sargent instead i I think the producer i think that the how good this film is the credit goes to one of these producers i'm not sure which one uh who made that call and understood that the script was strong enough that if you just played the script straight that it would be great Yeah. yeah and i have a hot take which is 
Steven Spielberg's version of this at any year of his life would be worse than the film that we have. I think so too. I think the but same. Saying that though, Steven Spielberg directs Jaws. Joseph Sargent directs Jaws 4. Okay, so... Yeah, and they both shot the best two Jaws films. I'm so. not saying that <laughs> Joseph Sargent's anywhere near as good a filmmaker as Steven Spielberg. He is not uh, over the course of his career. I'm saying he was uh, paired with everybody else on the crew, the right person for this project. And Spielberg's like instincts for sentimentality yeah. would have served this film so wrong. What Spielberg actually said about this film is that the fact that he didn't learn to bring a film in um, kind of on time and under budget until Raiders. And so he said, if he would have got this film, it would have been a disaster because he wouldn't have been able to bring it in because he wasn't I, I just, a filmmaker. I, especially filming in New York would be a nightmare. The filming was uh, amazing, actually. On this, uh, should we get to like the realism of the locations and stuff? If oh, we're definitely. Going to talk about that. But I also want to mention the previous film that John Sargent did was White Lightning with um, Burt Reynolds, and um, ha- that was also seen. a Spielberg cast off. Spielberg was meant to direct that, and he turned oh, it down wow. as well. Apparently, apparently, the film that. Sergeant did a few years prior the Forbin project is pretty good mm. but I haven't seen it it sounds really cool it's like a pre-war games kind of thing okay I don't know I don't know at all it's worth basically, mentioning because oh, go on go on it's basically I've heard someone else describe it and they described one particular scene of it which I'm not going to try and do because I haven't seen it but it made me like really excited to watch it but essentially it's like a US supercomputer versus a Soviet supercomputer like war games kind of thing and the supercomputers become kind of sentient, that uh, and, cool. it, and it goes. So it's that era of film, and apparently yeah. it's one of the one of the better ones. Colossus, the Forbin project. That's or it. Just the Forbin project. Yeah, that's it. That and before really cool. that, he was a tried and tested TV director, which is that's what I wanted ex- to mention. Yeah, exactly what this film exactly. Required. Yeah, I, that's exactly what I wanted to mention. That he was absolutely like like safe hands, like TV director. He directed every TV show of the sixties that you want to mention. Yeah. You know, he directed so I watched, one of the best I watched Star his, Trek episodes. I watched as well. his I watched his Star Trek episode last yeah, night. Yeah, yeah, the Carbonite remover, I think it is. Yeah, the Carbonara remo- maneuver yeah. where they make <laughs> spaghetti sauce together uh, to kill the aliens who can't deal with tomato products. It's got um, um thingy in it, that actor that I can't remember his name. But it's Clint it's, Howard. Clint Howard, that's it, yeah. Little little baby Clint Howard. Little baby being Clint weird. Howard, yeah, is the alien. Uh, so did you watch this episode recently or are you just a trekker? No, just a trekker. Oh, fair enough. Okay, because <laughs> watching it last night, that's fine. I, I like Star Trek uh, just fine. Um, I thought, honestly, there were a lot of similarities between that episode, the way he directed that episode of television and the way he directed this film. Oh. And again, shout out to the producer of this movie, uh, who is, I think, Edgar Sherrick, I think is the person who made these calls. Okay. Because um, if you look at it, you can see the qualities that you want which is like making tension like keeping yeah. the tension alive keeping the tension alive yeah yeah the film so for the first like 30 minutes or 40 minutes of that star trek episode it's one of those ones for the audience at home where the crew is like up against a threat they don't understand and looks completely overwhelming and it does the same thing actually where the alien threat gives them a time limit yes and it's like you've got 10 minutes to live yeah. uh and it and it and he and he pulls the tension out of those ten minutes the same way he does out of the hour in this in this film. A lot so, of the best Star Trek episodes as well, and I can't remember that episode completely, but a lot of the Star Trek episodes actually take place like this film takes place over the radio, basically. Um, yeah, exactly right. And same thing just, again. It does. It does. It's, the same. it's all negotiations between Clint Howard and William Shatner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was. 
yeah, and then yeah, that, yeah. that plays with this film perfectly. But yeah, he Absolutely. he directed like you know Man from Uncle, Gunsmoke, Lassie, um, you know anything from the sixties. He had a he had a hand in directing. He was just a La- safe safe. Lassie's director. some hot shit. <laughs> Lassie's some, <laughs> some that's some cinema gold. <laughs> and then um, latter part of his career, we mentioned that he made up uh, Jaws, uh, the Jaws Revenge, which was a huge bomb. I don't think it's deserving of the hate it gets. If I'm oh, very wow. honest. Um, but like I just hate the Razzie shit I guess more than anything else I don't think I've um, seen that one he because of that he got he won like you know got nominated or whatever won or whatever the Razzies and he never directed another film again he just did TV from then on wow Uh, but he did like the Karen Carpenter stories and and, um, things like that so he did did TV movies but because of George Revenge he never did a theatre release again right which I think is unfair I think I don't think it's that bad but he did this film and this film is is wonderful yeah, That's the other main game. contributors that the producer pulled in, and this is an obvious one, was the cinematographer and editor from French Connection. Oh, shit. Yeah, that is which obvious. Massively explains what they were trying to achieve with this yeah. uh, adaptation. And works really well. I'm just checking if Ollie's there. Is Ollie there? <laughs> Ollie hasn't spoken ages, and I was worried he'd gone away. Ollie, chime in. <laughs> Well, what do, you, what, what, what do you want me to say? You can't just say that. How do you feel about the cinematography of this film, Oliver Jones Go? Uh, yeah, I thought it was it was good, like especially in the low lights in the subway. It's uh, you know it seems well lit considering the limitations. They probably had a, a camera and film stuck in stuff in the because I know they shot in real mostly real locations, so they I probably was... did film in the actual subways. They did. Uh, they filmed in, well, they filmed in an abandoned line that's part of a museum, apparently. I uh, I which is apparently, that. which is apparently where they film all, like, scenes that happen in subways in New York, um, is this place. But, yeah, Ali, I thought the same thing about those scenes in the middle of the film when there was only emergency power and it was super low lighting Yeah. in the train. Yeah, yeah. And, like, at first I just kind of went with it and didn't notice and then a few minutes in I went, I thought, how the hell are they filming this on 35 millimeter film with anamorphic lenses in 1974? Like, the, there's not enough light for this to look this good. I don't understand. So I specifically looked that up because it didn't make any sense to me. Oh, and I found, I found an article in Movie Maker about, uh, from 2009 by a guy named Bob Fisher who interviewed the, this cinematographer and the guy who did the remake, which we don't need to talk about. But um, Fair enough. what he did, he used... Um, like not the kind of not um, I had to talk about film speeds quickly he used the same kind of film for the whole thing so the the film was no more sensitive to light than when he was in the studio like filming the uh, the office where they're all talking with loads more light yeah mm-hmm. so instead of using a faster film stock which has more grain and looks a little bit cheaper he used the same film stock what they did was they pre-exposed it before they filmed it a little bit okay, so okay. instead so they, they apparently use an optical printer to flash each frame by about 20%. And so raise the black levels by 20%. And then you can use that same film stock with the lower light and oh get that God. look. That's Which is just brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. And it, it, was such a, it was such a unique look from that time period. You, you don't yeah. really see that very often. That's so ingenious. That, like that kind of ingen- ingenuity that comes with like physical filmmaking in the 70s is... is... It's fascinating to me. Yeah, it it's people awesome. that absolutely knew their kind of craft, but mechanically knew it as well. 
Right. Um, because it's a, it was, you know, you're dealing with mechanical things at this point. And For sure. It's so cool. I'm surprised they filmed in a real subway, though. You'd think they'd have just built a, a set because apparently it caused a lot of people to get ill down there. Yeah. And, like, I was reading something about Malta Mathe was saying that he, like, he got a a flu and everything that from being down there but he was only down there for like one scene if that <laughs> oh but that bit where he has to save hobo jesus the um yeah, yeah. The, that bit of track is so horrible though it's all like yeah. it's all, I, I saw it it was like muddy and wet and like yeah. it looked rancid it really did and he wasn't lying in it but it looked horrible to me the other guy was yeah, yeah, yeah. Water math it was. Hobo Jesus, the worst cop who ever lived, is just the lying worst in the cop. dirt. <laughs> can we, talk, uh, can about... we talk about? Yeah, we can. Let's talk about the worst cop in the world, Hobo <laughs> Jesus. Talking of Chekhov's gun, he's yeah. he's not he's a good a... one. No, he's the worst Chekhov's gun. He's a cop who's there the whole time and just sits there and goes, "Well, I don't know what to do." <laughs> And just doesn't do anything. <laughs> they keep evoking him throughout the whole script. They keep reminding you that there's a cop on the train, but they don't know if it's well, a dame or a man or something like. Well, I mean, obviously, this film is like the blue, you know, is the blueprint for like Die Hard and probably Speed later on. Absolutely, is yeah. Absolutely. And I was thinking, and I was thinking, oh, he's going to become like the hero that comes. Me too. That's what I thought it's going to be. And I thought, you know, Walter Matthau would be like his Al or whatever, you know, in Die Hard and kind right. of be his man uh, yeah, sure. outside yeah. of the environment that could help him. For me, this is this is exactly what I like about this film, is that it completely runs away from all of that. Yeah, it you does. Know, it, it just lets everyone be like a schlubby idiot trying to go about their day. Well, and like I, don't is... if it, I don't know if it runs away from it. That was just how it was back then. I think as the sure, 80s yeah, okay. progressed and, and action stars had to be a bit more proactive and do things, then that's, that's what changed. That's what was. That's how you it changed. Definitely get a rise of what would be considered like an action movie star after this. So right. if you're putting them in a film, you need to see them running around, shooting, being sexy, and, and everything like that. Whereas making this film, they didn't feel like they needed to do that at any point. It just felt like, well, no. what would a bunch of railway guys be like? What would a railway right. top be like? And that's all they present to you, really. Not in right. a bad way. I love it. Like, um, I wonder if Denzel runs around a bit more in his one. You know, I can't Which remember one? the remake, and I don't care. It's I I, I I I try. I said last week that I've seen it once, and I didn't think it was very good. And that's literally that's all in my memory. I really. guarantee you that the ending has more action. Than yeah, the it must do. I don't even need to see it to tell you that that happened. Yeah. Well, I mean, spoilers. Robert Shaw dies like what two thirds into it, I guess. No, 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 no. It's no, only like five the end. minutes from the end. Yeah, yeah. but not he's like... not the last one, though, is he? He's not like no, the. No, no, no. No, but that scene's amazing. That's the end brilliant. scene. The end shot's the, my favorite. The end shot's the best the end shot in film. History. So people keep saying that, and that did not occur to me while I was watching it. I had a big laugh. I loved it. Walter Matthau, Ultimate Mensch. I love him. But I, when I watched it, we, I had a big laugh, and then I thought this movie was great. I loved it. And then I go online and I was like, greatest ending shot that's ever happened. And <laughs> that's that going to be because of the jokes. I didn't yeah. know that was a take. I was joking. <laughs> I just loved it. I loved how it finishes like a sitcom. It does. That's true. <laughs> with, a, with just a poor screen. But it's interesting that you bring up sitcoms because it's like this could devolve into this plain coverage that looks more like a sitcom, but much like his Star Trek episode. It doesn't. He's got just enough jazz as a director yeah. to yeah. keep keep that energy going from scene to scene and shot to shot and shoots it 
you know, not as interestingly as say Terrence Malick or Stanley Kubrick's sure. going to shoot it, uh, or even Steven Spielberg, but with but it's more than enough juice. No, it's 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 more. No, it's uh, definitely cinematic. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, it's still cinematic. It doesn't fall into being a sitcom. No. Where, but you still wouldn't call it like a visual masterpiece. Uh, no, on not at all. Uh, it's which economical. Is, fine. is uh, I want to say that nicely. It like it knows what it's doing and it chooses it. I think it's not. It's it services the script. I think right. is the best way to put it. Speaking of sitcoms, you've got you've got Jerry Stiller in it as well. Yeah, yeah. Jerry Stiller, killing it. Yeah, killing it. The bit at the end of this film when he has a light cigarette. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd be so annoyed if the cop was in my house just demanding he lights his cigarette. Like, Go away! I'm not lighting a cigarette. I, I legit, I legitimately thought they were all going to die. Me too. Yeah, when yeah. He, when he when he went to the stove, I thought they're all going to burn up and die. This is the '70s. Shit goes bad. <laughs> but that spoiler alert to the audience: that's not what happens. Yeah, we're bouncing around a little bit at the moment. But just before we get to the plot, I do want to talk about Walter Matthau, who's the kind of lead of this film. Really love him. Uh, what is yeah? What is your opinion of Mathau? Like, what's your experience of Mathau? Because he's an iconic actor, really. But... Uh, how about you go, Ollie, this time? Uh, I'm trying to think what my well, uh, the first film I ever saw him in was a film called uh, The Plaza Suite, which is what? kind of like an it's an anthology film from like the early 70s, and it's like a comedy where it's set in a ho- hotel, and he's like the main character in each story, but it's a different story each time. <laughs> okay, that's news. That's news to me. Oh, Bad News Bears is one I watched as a kid. Right, that was a good one. Where he's the coach? Because I don't. The I know Walter Matthau as the Odd Couple, and I know Jack Lemon. That's yeah. That's all I know him from. Really, is he in Some Like It Hot or is that somebody else? No, it's Tony Curtis, isn't it? Well, who's the other guy? It's Jack Lemon. Oh, is it Jack Lemon? Is it Lemon? It's Jack Lemon and Tony Curtis. Oh, okay, I confuse those two so much. <laughs> Well, yeah, because they did so many films together. Okay. So I've seen Mathau in as an old guy in some old 90s stuff. I don't recall which ones. Uh, grumpy old man, grumpy old man. That kind of I thing. But I definitely saw him. from Dennis the Menace. Oh, right. Yeah, I definitely saw that. <laughs> he seemed like Basie's career was to age up to be Mr. Wilson. Right. I uh, I recently saw him in, uh, what's the name of the film? A New Leaf, which is Elaine May's first movie. Uh, oh, and he cool. stars opposite Elaine May in that, and he's absolutely hilarious. Uh, in that. it's a great movie, actually. Um, so that was the most recent, like, great Mathau performance I've seen before this one. Wasn't Mathau in JFK as well with Jack Lemon? He is in JFK. Yeah. What? Yeah. What the hell are they in JFK? Um, he's a senator, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's a senator. I yeah. can't remember who Jack Lemon is, though. I'm not uh, too sure how much they're in the film, because, you know, it's famously Oliver Stone shot, like, what, 20 hours or something? <laughs> yeah. Film, Jack so. Lemon? Jack Lemon is a, is an actor, Ollie, if you can't remember. Fuck. You just really? said you can't remember who he is. Yeah, yeah, Jack Lemon acts. <laughs> no, I can't remember who he is in JFK. <laughs> no, 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 yeah. He's an actor who acts, sometimes. <laughs> but I do find it amazing that during this podcast we've now covered Mathau and Lemon, but we've actually didn't cover them together, which I thought they only came together. No, no, they did all types of stuff. Well, they like Ant and Deck, are they? Or, yeah, yeah. Or... But I don't really know Walter Matthau. I was quite, I was looking forward to watching this quite a lot to actually just watch. Oh, right. Walter Matthau more than anything so, else. I, I just know him as the old guy in the films in the nineties. Right, right, right. right. Like, I always think of him the guy with the jowls and the big nose, and he's always yeah, a yeah, yeah, grumpy. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. He's yeah. I think it's interesting that he's. It, would it be fair to call him a bit of a comedy actor? Because that's why I think. Oh, hundred percent. That's yeah. that's yeah, absolutely yeah, what he always was. So I thought it was 
interesting casting to put him in this as he does bring comedy to it a lot. I love his line readings all the time. He's really funny with yeah. it, but it's yeah. not a traditionally kind of comic role. It's all, you know, No, but the, everybody's playing it like a comedy almost yeah, from are. most God, of the film yeah. with the exception of Robert Shaw. Uh, yeah, yes. Almost everybody's being funny. Co- just natu- they're just acting fairly natural. They're friends, so they're kind of all busting each other's balls. And, yeah, yeah, I mean? yeah. But they're, they're bringing... Not they are not ball busting in this film. Yeah, oh yeah. But well, it made me laugh that everybody is angry in this film except for the, the host, the uh, you know the te- not terrorist but the, the English guy. You know, the English <laughs> he's not guy. angry. Yeah, he's got his crosswords. He doesn't need to be angry. He's very yeah, he's, he's very relaxed. He's very relaxed. Anyway, Before, that's some good actors who play the other guys. You know, Mister Gray, Mister Green. Which yeah, surely, Balsam. yeah. Which he's... surely. Um, Tarantino took for Reservoir Dogs. 100%. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, but, yeah, but, um, absolutely. The one guy is... Uh, do you remember Home Improvement? Yes. Yeah. He had the next-door neighbour who you never saw his face. Yes. Yeah. He's one of the um, the terrorists or the, you know, the... Is he? That's, that's yeah. why you never saw his face. He was he didn't want to be caught <laughs> by the FBI for his criminal behaviour. <laughs> he was I know hiding the whole time. The guy who plays Mr. Green, the guy with the flu, he's um, juror number one in Ang- 12 Angry Men. And, okay. Isn't uh, he also Rocky's coach? No, no, that's, <laughs> he does look like that's him, not Burgess Meredith. No, wait no, a minute, the other guy. Not, you mean the guy the who guy. he catches at the end who's sneezing? Yeah, you mean that's not Rocky's coach? No. Or do you mean his cousin, his you, brother? You mean no, his brother-in-law, uh, and his it's brother. not him. No, I don't believe you at all. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> no. <laughs> Which one is this guy? Is it Martin Balsam? Yeah, Martin Balsam plays Mr. Green. All right. He's in it's going to say he was in Rocky. He was in All the President's Men. He was in Twelve Angry Men. He was in Psycho, and yeah. and and there there it is, Rocky. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up! I don't, I don't believe you. I don't believe you or IMDb. That was the fucking. That was the guy from fucking Rocky. I know because I literally it. thought the same thing watching it. I, I swore how, it was him. Everybody stop! How how how? Is that not the coach from Rocky? But then the other guy is Quint from Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck How? is his name in Rocky? It's Burt Young, isn't it? Um, Paulie. Yeah. It's None Bert of Young. this makes any sense. Yeah. He, I know he looks so much like Burt Young. It's, it's I don't think I can. I actually don't think I can continue this podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> like, my brain is broken. Oh, I'm okay. so glad you thought that. But I'm so glad, one, you said you didn't know Robert Shaw was English. I'm so glad you said this guy was Burt Young in Rocky. Well, I not only did I think... Thing. I didn't I didn't just think that. I was completely sure. Convinced. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that wasn't like a theory. I was completely sure. <laughs> and I still am, and I'm never, ever going to believe this bullshit <laughs> that you're telling me. Anyway, whoever the hell that guy was, he was very good. He's good. He's great in in a uh, in a uh, jaw number one, which is a wonderful film. <laughs> He's really good in Rocky too. A director we mentioned <laughs> earlier, which I'm, and yeah. now I don't, don't have to say his name. So if we start the plot, it c- kicks off with this um, awesome music that kind of goes through the whole film. This is the first thing I oh, noticed. Yeah. I think it's David Shire as the composer. Doing um, his best, like Jerry Goldsmith impression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was a bit Man from Uncle. I don't know if anyone else got that it's vibe. It's very for it. jazzy, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it was super like James Bond, Pink Panther kind of vibe. And it, yeah, persists throughout the whole film, really, in a really good way, though. But um, you first see 
uh, is Mr. Green, isn't it? Who's entering the New York subway with a really long box, looking quite shifty. And uh, he's got, what, those big glasses on and the, the coat as well. And, yeah, uh, a fake moustache. Did anyone else know it was a fake moustache? Yeah, I thought uh, yeah, Oh, yeah, right away. I thought it okay. Was, yeah. I was uh, sure uh, they were fake. Um, and uh, my, my wife commented, Oh, look, all the villains look like you. What a shock. <laughs> uh, also, the uh, the costume was borrowed or referenced in a recent heist movie called American Animals. Okay. That's a really good film, actually. Though. Which is a really good film. And Ali, I don't know if you remember, but when they tried the heist in that film the first time, the boys are all dressed up with the trench coats and the hat yeah, and the yeah. fake mustaches. So immediately mm. notice that. I loved it. I did. It, I'm, I'm quite slow, but it didn't. It, not until I saw them all together when I really realised they're all dressed the same. I just okay. kind of just thought that's the way people looked in the seventies. <laughs> no, they looked shifty right away. <laughs> that's the probably the least realistic thing of the film is that like <laughs> they ever the, 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 they're just fitting in. Yeah, everyone would have noticed that's a weird looking guy. Uh, yeah, so you see Mr. Green first, who's got a bit of a cold. Um, okay. Uh, which film is it where the hero's got a cold? Is it a Die Hard when he's got like? Diehard's got a headache in Diehard with a Vengeance. Oh, the the Diehard film that most explicitly rips this one off. I liked uh, the kind of, I like the flavour you get in these opening scenes of kind of seventies New York. Obviously, I don't know what seventies New York was like, but there's a lot of kind of different people here, a lot of different costumes. I like the kind of young conductor who's yelling down the train. Um, oh, my wife, my wife had a note about that. Um, her memory of the subway in New York is being completely unable. This is one of her strongest memories. Completely unable to understand whatever the hell the conductor says on the subway car through <laughs> over the PA. Like it's just, it just, it usually comes out as like that's that's your average like subway announcement. He was just yelling in this though, wasn't he? He didn't actually have anything to speak down. I thought he was talking through a PA through a microphone. Uh, I thought he was yelling, but whatever. Okay. Well, now nowadays they try and talk over a PA, but the PA is I thought like a hundred years old. And so it just comes out as scrambled crap. And then you have to learn how to like translate it to, you know, this train skipping your stop. So you better get off now or whatever. I was going to say the one thing this film can't do, though, you can't get the sense of smell from the New York subway, which is it, it dominates the whole city, in my opinion. Like you, can, <laughs> you can't go anywhere without smelling that kind of it's a proper distinct smell, isn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. And like you know, it's coming comes up through the grates in the floor and stuff. So you constantly smell. I can't even describe what the smell is. It's it's specific to the place. It's not garbage. It's not meaty smell. It's this. I don't know. It's very. It's a it's a hot smell. It's a weird stale air. <laughs> it's a beautiful, beautiful smell. It's it's uh, only rivaled by the finest of French bakeries. This film would be good in that four D. Is it four D or whatever? Where oh, you yeah. kind of sit in the cinema and they put smells and scents through the. I, I feel like the the way this film looks and films like it, French Connection and whatnot, you, you feel like you can smell it and get you feel like dirt's on your skin watching. It. I feel like I can feel it. I can feel their yeah. suits. I can feel their shirts. Yeah. Like and that that police room must stink of cigarettes. That's. Like. I think that's every seventies film though, isn't it? You know, even in the booths in the um, in the control center, you know, or the police station wherever they're working. Like yeah, all the yeah. all the chairs have got graffiti on and stuff like that. But apparently, yeah, yeah. they the uh, the New York uh, 
I don't know, subway department, whatever, wouldn't allow them to use any train carts with any graffiti on because they would have been covered in graffiti. Yeah. And they re- they refused to let them to to use graffiti because, one, because it looks bad. And two, because they thought graffiti would have died out by then. Like oh, God. Who would have dated the movie. Yeah. How it's nice. the MTA. It's the MTA, the Metro Transit Authority. And uh, as usual, they were difficult to work with uh, for the film as well. Which is why I don't understand why for most of it, they just didn't do in a studio. I thought at first that the train car was a soundstage. Like once I realized they were going to be down there and it was stopped for a long time, uh, that would make sense. But eventually you start noticing that like once the gunmen and stuff arrive, there's all these wide shots from far back in the tunnel Mm. and that kind of thing. And they're just shooting it from every single angle. You're seeing the outside, you're seeing the tunnel, uh, you're seeing all this detail in the tunnel. I'm like, there's no way that's actually a soundstage. You couldn't, I, I looked up right away. I was like, "Where? Do, how did they shoot this? Where did they shoot it? Because it had to be a real tunnel. But, like, obviously that's not safe. So the, there was apparently a lot of wrangling with, like, the insurance companies and the MTA and everybody else to figure out how to do this. I was going to say, abandoned tunnel. the MTA as well, because of this film well, and the book before it, they never let a train leave Pelham at 1, 2, 3. And that's become, like, a superstition yeah, in, in New York not to send a train off at that time. I think they, I, I think they're over it. I think they're over it now. Maybe by now they're over it, but yeah. They thought when they made this film, though, there was going to be lots of uh, copycat uh, incidences, so they had to have like a a massive insurance of like s- something ridiculous, like ten million dollars, to make sure that um, an event like that wouldn't wouldn't occur or they'd be covered. Apparently, the book was like more explicit and realistic in its in its heisting. Uh, and the film, they had to change it to make it something that actually wouldn't work. Oh, right. Okay. Like it, if you tried it, it. felt really realistic to me, but I don't know anything about trains, obviously, but it felt realistic to me. No, me neither. Here you go. It was a 20 million insurance policy <laughs> in case that a movie inspired a real life hijacking. And then an additional 250,000 uh, was used for the track station, subway cars and the TA personnel. So there you go. Huh. 250,000 sounds very reasonable. Yeah, it does. Honestly, for <laughs> that kind of access. Yeah. The insurance is ridiculous, but whatever. The budget was quite big for this as well. It was a 4 million film for a time period, which is right. was actually quite big, but it did make 20 like 18, 19 million at the box office, so I mean, huge success as well. Well, I looked up how much the ransom was. So eventually, uh dear listener, well, we'll get to this in a second, but they asked for a million dollars. And I thought Honestly, for New York City, a million dollars can't have been that much. Yeah. Like even yeah. then. I feel like that's not that bad. Uh and it's it's about six million in modern money, so it really wasn't that bad. It really shouldn't have taken the mayor very long to make that decision. I was gonna say this when we get to the mayor, but is there a reason why every New York mayor has to be this person? This guy's played the mayor like three times. He was the mayor in <laughs> Batman as well. He was not, was he? <laughs> yeah, he was the mayor in the first Batman film. Uh, also, Ollie not mentioned Batman for 24 hours challenge. That's not going to happen. <laughs> well, I was going to mention Ghostbusters as well to keep it on track because it's, I thought it was a very Ghostbustery kind of mayor. Mayor Lenny. Talks of New York, New York mayors. Nah, those are two. Those are two different mayors. Mayor Lenny is someone you like, like uh, ultimately. Yeah, I think true. Lenny is a, is a character yeah. you can empathize with. Uh, and understand, whereas this guy's just a clown all the way no, through. No, he's an asshole. He's in bed and he's like, where are we going to get that million dollars sitting in his gold-plated bed? Yeah, he's doing, he's, doing like, he's doing like a literal slapstick routine, this man. 
Hey, let's go. Let's go backwards. Let's go backwards. Yeah. So where are we? Basically, we've we've watched all all the kind of people get onto the train. They're all carrying different sort of bags and stuff like that. They all look exactly the same. At this point, they don't really call each other Mr. Green or Mr. Blue or Mr. Brown or Mr. Grey yet. There's no real differences between them. Um, and it's not until Mr. Blue, who's Robert Shaw, kind of points a gun at the um, at the kind of driver that anything starts kind of kicking off with that. But it's quick. It's economical. It's like 15 minutes in. Um, we've set everything up. You know what I love about this? is The name colors is that unlike uh, Tarantino's usage of it, I couldn't tell you which one was what color. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because the film, the film literally couldn't care less. No, because it just doesn't, doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah it doesn't matter. <laughs> I think it's really brilliant. Apart, or, like you kind of get there towards the end. Uh, I think it's quite funny that Mister Brown is basically non-entity, and I think it's funny he's called <laughs> right. Mister Brown because of that. But like, um, like Gray. That's also true. Mister of... Dogs too, isn't it? It Mr. is. Mr. Brown yeah, yeah. doesn't. Yeah. He's like not. He's a non-entity, right? Is Mister Brown um, Steve Buscemi? He's the old guy who doesn't like do anything. Oh, he's Mr. Pink, isn't he? Yeah, Buscemi's Pink. Yeah. In this, you get Mr. Grey, who is the former kind of mafia guy who's a bit mad. Oh, he's the -the off-the-wall guy. Yeah. Um, You get Mr. Brown, who's basically no one. You get Mr. Green, who is the guy who used to work for the the Transport Authority and has got a cold. And then you get Mr. Blue, who's Robert Shaw, who's like the mastermind and does crosswords. And it's it's quite right. it's easy to follow you know like it's not complicated it's just it's flat out you don't brilliant. you don't need to know their names you don't no, need to know their don't. names because they're all they're all playing them so well yeah yeah that you get a sense of you know who they are very quite quickly um and anyone who does crosswords is an insane villain in my book automatically like that just makes you a bad person yeah especially if you bring a book with you to a hostage yeah that's bad do you have a favorite hostage oh that's a great question I liked the mother who kept slapping her kids as if she was in a normal situation. Why is it not the drunk lady who's asleep the whole time? Yeah, I like the drunk lady who's asleep. That was one of the best payoff gags I think I've ever seen (laughs) in my life. When the emergency brakes come in. Yeah. Like, I had completely forgotten about it. I thought she had woken up and had been one of the normal passengers ages ago. Had no idea. And then it cuts back to her, like, near the end to show that she'd slept through the whole thing. It's a brilliant gag. Because you think nowadays they'd make more note of the the undercover police officer who's on the train. Well, this this goes to the filmmaking style of this and how like unobtrusive. I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah, how unobtrusive the filmmaking style is in a really good way. Uh, I I wouldn't put him up with. Uh, there's a French filmmaker I kept thinking of named Robert Bresson, Robert Bresson, who did um, A Man Escaped and Pickpocket and um, Oazard Balthazar. Balthazar who was like famous for doing really unobtrusive filmmaking, but like really artistically. And he, before the film, a man escaped, uh, which in a lot of ways is kind of similar to this. He, he says, uh, this is a real story. And I want to, unlike taking a poem and I want to respect it by showing it as unadorned as possible. Like just straightforward, let the audience make its own minds up. And even though this film is just kind of a silly bit of entertainment for the most part, uh, it's filmmaking style is unadorned. It doesn't tell you what to think, really, about any of these characters except the the main villain, frankly. Uh, and the yeah. way it treats the passengers, um, it doesn't spend a lot of time on them. It doesn't give you any tragic backstories. I don't know anything about Walter Matthau's character at all. No. Uh, and I mean that in the absolute best way. Yeah. 
Because like as yeah. Ollie's dead right, and is that if someone tries to make this film today or something like it, everyone's going to have a tragic backstory. It's all got to loop back perfectly in some kind of perfect arc, yeah. and get fixed at the end. Walter Matthau would have like an argument with his wife at the beginning of the film, and they'll be arguing about needing to move out of New York and his job. He'd have a dead, he'd have a dead kid or something. Yeah. Stupid. and then the end of the film, the terrorist would end up ending up where he lives and his wife's trapped there or something like that. And- <laughs> It would all it would all circle back in, and there's none of that. There's none. Is no, it's none of it. It's, it's it lets you judge what's happening based on just the actions, and it doesn't like highlight internal psychology, which yeah. is what Spielberg would do. Which is why I'm saying it would be worse. I um, so you kind of introduce with Matthew here, and I think it's kind of a nice bit to show that they basically show him as a New York Transit Authority policeman. It's not right. glamorous. The office is shitty. They all don't mm-hmm. seem to really like their jobs. They just want the trains to run. He's been <laughs> he's been given some uh, Japanese businessmen to show around, which is a very yeah. 70s trope. It's in every, oh, yes. like, <laughs> so much stuff. Um, because this is on, it was, the, on the list, yeah. It's because it was a thing at the time that because Japan were coming out of this economic push, out of the wars, they were actually working with American businesses a lot. And there was a lot of sharing ideas between businesses at the time. Correct. So it was actually based on stuff that was happening in America. But it just became a thing that every sitcom every every film had the japanese in um right. to show and to show hilarious moments i guess which this film kind of tries to do which we oh can, yeah um which it was a bit annoying but whatever it wasn't like it wasn't too bad but i mean it, it wasn't too bad scene wasn't it really i think yeah it was one scene, the it was, payoff it was... is that they can speak english i think yeah, I think so. Well, I saw that. I saw that coming miles away. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and just, obviously, yeah. if someone did that today, you'd be like, "Get out of my face." Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it feels true to the time with the casual racism that was American at the time. It does. Uh, yeah. It does, and the film has more of it to come. But I will yeah, say yeah, that yeah. this sets the, and that's just par for the course at this time period, unfortunately. But uh, this gag sets the stage for how that works in this movie, which is that the butt of the joke is Mathau at the end of it the part of the yeah. joke's not the japanese guys ultimately that's true actually it's that's the fact true. that Mathau was a moron yeah 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 yeah, yeah so i true. sort of think like the film it has its dose of you know male gaziness and and casual racismness but the the men uh who have those attitudes in the film are often getting uh chastised or made fun of or the or the, or the butt of the jokes themselves yeah, it was Mr. Grey in the car that hits the girl because she's attractive. Um, right. And she kind of just plays it off as like this pro- probably happens to her too many times. But it is Mr. Grey that does it. It's not so is the guy who's meant to be unhinged. So right. it does play to character so much, but it's not really, there's not too much. It's not too, as a rewatch in 2020, there's not too much in it that's going to put you off. It's not like breakfast at Tiffany's, I think. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> No, thank God. Uh, I want to say that uh, my third note is, quote, this man's accent is beautiful. I think I was referring to the train driver, the young one. I'm not sure now. Uh, but my wife asked me, why Why is it that in, in the 70s, the New York accents were bigger than they are now? Ever, yeah, to which, yeah sure. To which I have no answer because I wasn't alive, so I can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but she's right. Nobody... Not nobody, but very few people talk with that big of an accent. Is is Mathau doing New York in this? Mathau's from New York. Okay, I wasn't sure. I double-checked, yeah. He's from the Lower East Side, uh, Mathau is. Um, and one of the things going through this film's IMDb that I really enjoyed 
a lot like Dog Day Afternoon, for example, uh, is that so much of the crew are New Yorkers. Honestly, like the the vat the director is from Jersey City. Represent uh, <laughs> Mathal's Mathal's a New Yorker. Jerry Stiller's a New Yorker. The cinematographer's a New Yorker. The editor's a New Yorker. The producers, the art director, the set, everybody is local talent. And you know how are we talking about how you could smell this film and you can feel yeah. the grit on it. It feels really real. They just feel like friends at their shitty job. Yeah, uh, yeah. I feel like the lived experience of all those crew members sort of like adds up to this verisimilitude in the film which is pretty amazing you get that bit later on when well kaz comes into the film now and who's a kind of i don't know he's in in charge of the command center or something and and when he dies later on someone back at walter mathau's plate goes what they shot fat kaz like then no point has been introduced (laughs) as that but it becomes like it just feels so real they didn't seem like they cared that he was dead really though because he's like it's like yeah. he was a pain in the ass yeah and they were like oh my god this this annoying guy <laughs> but he's great he comes at this point and he's like Kaz is incredible they're yelling incredible. at him why is this not locked and he's like who's gonna steal a subway train and like um and moaning about how it's moving backs and forwards and and what's his line he goes um how can you run a goddamn railway road without swearing it's right he starts yelling about yeah. it. they tell him off for swearing because there's a lady he's, in the office here's the, i love how he's he is a proper new yorker because oh, his only all he wants to do is just run up in that train and scream at everybody he yeah. doesn't care how threatening it is he doesn't care how weird the situation is doesn't care that there's guns out he's just like shoot me bitch what are you gonna do i'm like i don't yeah. care when he goes it. to the car and they're literally threatening him and he doesn't give a shit he's like i don't care who you are like i'm, I'm not interested <laughs> get this car moving <laughs> that's my man that's my man can we talk about the um uh, how the hostages react for at yes. first? Yes, like do not give a shit when the when the gun first comes out. They're so apathetic to it. That is that is <laughs> that is the most New York. That is the most New York scene in the history of cinema. Is that <laughs> their first reaction is, oh god, another crazy person on the subway. What is this shit? Can we just can I just get to work, please? Stop. Uh, and they just they can't take it seriously. That, like, when um one of them, I think it's Mr. Green, goes outside, and the lady goes, "Can I just go with him so I can get to work?" <laughs> I thought she was the cop, actually. I thought she was the cop, and that would have been more interesting. Well, yeah, because they say, they say, oh, it could be a girl. Mm. Yeah, my theory was there's no reason Mathau would keep having that line over and over again if they weren't going to... Yeah, and there's some payoff. Uh, yeah, pay it off, but there you go. I don't know. Anyway, what happens then? Well, is this when they, I guess, when they call in to say their demands, isn't it? And... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so Robert Shaw calls up and demands a million for, and yeah, it's a million, and you've got an hour. Yeah, that's the setup. My my question there was, why does the NYC Transit Comms Room look like NASA? <laughs> like the the setup with the desks and the mics and everything looks like a NASA set, <laughs> and I feel like it can't look like that in real life. I like that texture though, with all the lights and the dots. Yeah, I like how everyone has a giant microphone on like yes. a huge stand and they all look <laughs> they all look like they're about to drop like the sickest soul record of the year <laughs> or record a podcast or that yeah one or the other yeah the new york transit podcast i was gonna say you could kind of do this almost as like as a radio drama yeah definitely definitely yeah i like, I do like the the texture of the room though it like the lights and stuff like obviously now it'd be computers like screens and stuff but i like that old-fashioned kind of just the the a visual representation of the line with lights on it that kind of blink yeah i like, yeah. I like that 
Yeah. Same. Again, because the lighting is all that kind of old, kind of fake lighting as well, it just feels really 70s as well. It just feel like that room. It doesn't feel glamorous to work this job or anything like that. It feels like an absolute pain. Also, Walter Matthau's tie is pimp. His oh, yeah. yellow, bright yellow tie. The costumes generally are incredible. Uh, so when they bring in the demands is when we're introduced to one of the core relationships uh, of uh, one of the core comedic relationships of the film, which is Walter Matthau versus the uh, other guy in the room who just cares about the train traffic. Yes. Yes. Is that yeah, the guy he yeah. picks up and throws on his chair later on? Yes. Uh, it's a brilliantly antagonistic relationship between these two, where Mathau's like the only person who seems to care about what's going on. Yeah. And this guy, all he cares about is the traffic on the six line. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> you know, it's rush hour coming in. In that guy's defense, that is one of the busiest commuter trains in the world. <laughs> if not, if not, I think it might have been, or currently be, the busiest. Uh, in the world because it goes to the financial district in that but like does this go with how new yorkers are with each other because he like picks him up and throws him and then next minute he's kind of he's on board then with kind of just kind of get getting on with the job then do you know what i mean so they've kind of got you've kind of got this kind of like i wouldn't say angry but you kind of you, you don't dance around people you just kind of and walter matthew has to show his supremacy his alpha male position he's got a, he's got an alpha male on this bitch and knock him down and be like <laughs> I'm boss, I'll slap you, do what the fuck I say. Is it later on he just yells at him to go play with your chains? Yes, <laughs> I love that line so much. <laughs> I have that one written down. The throwing the person in the chair to get them to do what you want as a New Yorker, and all I can tell you, that's a good, uh, that's how our working relationship works. Whenever Ollie tries <laughs> to like not do what I say, I just chuck him onto the floor and that's say, like, draw, draw some more, you dumbass. My chair is broken, you probably can't hear it, but that's from yeah. all the times brands throw me on it <laughs> just it's how we communicate love is throwing each other to the ground a lot that's how you get shit done especially in the train police or whatever they work for uh oh and his other great line his other great line before that from the from the antagonist what's the antagonizing character's name i actually can't remember i didn't write i can't I, I i can't remember anyone's names because i can remember their faces and their personality so vividly because yeah, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. again, this this uh, economic way they're presented uh, and kind of clear way that they're, they're played. I think it's Frank. But, but it, yeah, but their names are like all lost to me. I couldn't yeah, tell us. doesn't matter. Anyway, he says, what do they expect for their, what do they expect for their lousy 35 cents 35 to live cents, forever? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> such a good line. Such a good line. Uh, that's an all time brilliant line. Um, yeah. but here we're basically introduced to the, to the mayor who is sick oh, yeah. in bed and yelling at his a maid i guess yep. i think that's her job <laughs> yep. i don't know what she is like nurse um, she was a nurse oh she a nurse was she yeah okay yeah um who's just an asshole who just refuses to he's just concerned about his votes he's that kind of mayor really isn't he um yeah um no, yeah he was wildly ineffective wildly being. a little bit kind of echoes of jaws i guess a little bit he just wants to get oh yeah, yeah that's a good point just wants to get stuff working again doesn't really care about what's going on yeah, well, the, the this era of seventies films was generally just obsessed with um, uh, institutional rot and yeah. corruption yeah. Uh, more broadly. Which is, I'm not saying anything new here, obviously, but the, the this film has that at its heart as yeah. well. Even just though so it plays incident. it off, it plays it off a little bit more casually and a little mm. bit more for a gag. But that's still the central like motor 
of yeah. all these characters is that like the institutions of New York are falling apart. They don't work. It's easy to take a subway car hostage because they're all idiots. Yeah. Um, the mayor's a moron. Uh, they're going to give and, you money. You can get away if you do anything. Like. Yeah. Uh, and New York at this time in reality, you know, was felt like it was falling apart at the seams to the people who live there. Yes. Uh, which it didn't feel like when I was living there. So I can't, can't speak to that, but apparently that's quite, quite a common theme the you know the the budget was falling apart uh this was the birth of hip-hop era so the bronx is like on fire yeah. all the time because all the buildings are abandoned uh rich people are and middle class people are like leaving manhattan in droves then they all came back in the 90s and <laughs> threw up the property prices and now nobody can live there <laughs> they refused uh, to pay rent for a while i've seen that film i don't know i don't know where they went I, they all went to north jersey uh, but you also I mean, you get like the you get that kind of rot in New York in like Scorsese films as well from the same time. Right, period, exactly. So. Yeah, so it's it's that idea is in the French Connection. It's in all the Scorsese movies. It's in this movie. It's in all of the the not the New York rot, but something like All the President's Men uh, years yeah. later. It's in yeah. Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, it's just the idea that the institutions that the baby boomers when they were kids thought were invulnerable yeah. and good are probably not. And that whole generation tried to deal with that in, in these genre films all the time. I don't know why, but that's what they did. And it's not so much the kind of later thing with New York, which became this whole, like, we'll, you know, we'll stick together and, and the people of New York are invulnerable kind of thing, which were like, or like a bit kind of New York-y kind of vibing Ghostbusters. And then obviously Spider-Man was a big part of that, really. Sure. Um, but at this point, no one gets Ghostbusters is a New, New York, York movie for sure. Yeah, but I mean, like, at no point, no one's getting along no, in this film. It's a more... Whereas later on, they, they point out that people in New York, they all kind of stick together and they get through shit, kind of. Well, yeah, so in Ghostbusters 2, it's all about, like, the hatred in the city that's kind of creating this kind of evil, toxic ooze. And then in Spider-Man, they're all like, you messed with one of us. You messed yeah, with well, okay. one of us. Yeah, well, okay. You have to remember that was immediately post-September the 11th, the, the Spider-Man movie. Didn't Disney have something to do with, like, New York, didn't Disney, they? Disney, what do you mean? Disney bought like Times Square pretty much, didn't they? Oh, I don't know about Disney, but generally speaking, Times Square, um, even up to the point where I was a kid, so even up to like the late 80s, early 90s, was more like what you see in this movie, like a red light district uh, and sex shops and weirdness and like taxi driver and whatnot. Uh, And then during Giuliani's time as mayor in the 90s, uh, it became the tourist kind of boring tourist trap. Both both versions of this are bad. (laughs) uh there's not a good there's never been a good version of times square <laughs> um, but it became this kind of corporate thing that's like it's my least favorite part of manhattan for sure by miles we are we are literally like two lines into the plot summary in wikipedia <laughs> like, <laughs> like an hour before you we, we've really really dropped the ball on this one <laughs> ollie i suggest you edit the shit out of this nope <laughs> but like uh, there's not much more to say it's so economical though it's i mean at, at this you, it's a lot of back and forth between you know the people in the car and water math out like and, and negotiating it takes the mayor quite a long time to decide to pay the money really well, it takes them half an hour at the hour they give them anyway right is it safe to say this film is almost real time it was borderline isn't it it is borderline actually i didn't think not, that, not quite but, but pretty close it's an hour 40 isn't it the film so it's got to be a bit honestly it might be the hour starts about 14 minutes in it doesn't have a, a funny title like nick of time to tell you that it's real yeah. time Doing that yeah so yeah. you just have to guess 
it's definitely not sold on that gimmick anyway. I wrote down why is everyone why why is everyone sick? I wrote down here. Yeah, I didn't know because we have I two characters too, yeah. who are prominently sick, one of whom for I no reason. That. I didn't know if it was it was playing on something. Does it kind of go with your New York rot? I don't know. It just I don't I I guess I could be part of the the rot thing, but the mayor it was just a gag. They're the both just, just gags, gag. aren't they? Mister Green is a plot point because. It, it require, he has to sneeze on the phone for Walter Matthau to recognise him. Right, but it's also a gag. Yeah, it is also a gag, but... I thought his scenes were hilarious, but it is right up against like making like self-satirising as a film. Yeah, But it yeah, is a sure. gag, but it's also just setting up that he's just a sickly, kind of useless person, really, and just kind of cementing that even more so, I guess. What happens then? I don't well, even sh- remember. They shoot fat yeah. cars, then they decide to get in the money... Um, they give him twenty minutes to get the money together to get him to the to the train, and it's they give him quite complicated ways of splitting all the bills. That was n- never ever going to work. You get a lot of Mortimer learning how to delay them now and stuff like that, and trying to placate them. Right. I think he, I think he he lies to them at one point. He tells them the money's actually there when it isn't because you great you get this great chase through the streets now where the camera's kind of right in the front of the car of the police car, and it's trying to yeah. make its way for all the the standstill traffic of New York basically. Um. It ends up crashing, uh, hitting like a newspaper bicycle or something like that. I don't know. It was a that was a hot dog vendor. Oh, it was a hot dog vendor, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Um, and then Walter Matha tells him the, the you know the money's there, but it isn't yet. And they, they, it buys him a little more time to get the money down to the subway. It's kind of what it's like tension. It's like a good amount of the money is just tension racking up, really. Yeah, there's no way they could get that money in that amount of time. In to that location it's physically impossible i love money counting machines i don't know what it is <laughs> uh, uh mary louise that my, my wife said the same thing ollie she said she loves money counting machines you two it's have that in common. something about it <laughs> <laughs> uh, i liked that uh talking about how the money like literally physically could not have gotten there in time i felt like that was sort of like a form follows function thing where the villain of this movie, just generally speaking, his whole MO is to do something, do his whole plan so fast uh, that no one can really react properly. Yeah. Like, what he's always doing is, uh, I'm just taking this train now. I'm not telling anyone I'm doing it. I've just done it. And then turn around and say you're hostages. Like he doesn't play with anybody. He Everything he does, he doesn't give you time to react properly. Yeah. There's not enough time to bring the money down. There's not enough time to like realize later on that he's stopped the train here it's not that clever of a plan, but it just does it so fast that you can't deal with it. Well, I, and I, what I, think I feel was... like the film is doing the same thing. Yeah. 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 I think it's spot on. Like the, the film moves, moves so fast that you as an audience member don't really have time to sit there and think like, why is Walter Matthau in charge of anything right now? Uh, he's nobody. That doesn't <laughs> nobody, make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the FBI or whatever, <laughs> but it, does, it doesn't matter because the film is just rolling along. What I really liked about that is that they don't even think about how to kind of stop him until much later. It's like they all they're doing is reacting mm. to his demands. All that's all they're doing is reacting to him. They're not. They're it's not. All they have time for. Yeah, that's all they have time for. Exactly. They're not doing anything else. And it's much later that they start thinking, right? Can we stop them? Um, which I really liked. It just felt really natural to me. And like Walter Matthau is kind of holding the whole film here together. Yeah. Same. He's he's confident. He's quick talking. He's he's interacting with 
everyone. You know, he's interacting with the cops. The he's mayor, confident, but he's not. Everyone he's not, in the room. He's, like it's just it's it's good to watch. Is what I mean. Like I think Walter Matthau is good for that because he can just. Yeah, he's, he's not. Working. He's not intimidated. He's not intimidated. No, he's sweating. He's not intimidated, but at no point do you feel do you feel like he's in charge really like he mm. acts like he's in charge but you never feel like this guy's definitely got everything under control it's not like schwarzenegger or whatever he is playing it like just a schlumpy goofball yeah yeah, yeah. who's there on the wrong day it's full of like jargon it's full of like weird. colloquialisms as well and it, it, it feels rough it just feels like yeah he's just a man who works there it just really does feel like that it doesn't feel like they're selling him as anything more than that uh, definitely. Oh, Jerry Stiller's line about they're going to fly the train to Cuba. Oh, yeah. Hello. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also love that um, by the time the mayor decides to like do anything, he gets dragged by that one assistant of his who looked yeah. like a young, like smaller Ron Perlman. Yeah. Uh, and he yeah. goes, he drags him down to the subway station on 28th. And you just, you're on the cop who's there who yes. we don't really meet, but he's like the cop who's in control, uh, quote unquote, uh, by the subway station. And he's talking to somebody else, maybe Matthew on the radio or something. And you just hear booze from the yeah, crowd. Yeah. And yeah. you, the audience know the automatically mayor, yeah. what's happening. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and, and the film doesn't even, it doesn't, doesn't even cut to the mayor. It doesn't no. ever show you the mayor again. No, you don't even need to know. <laughs> like, yeah. You already know. This point is when they're kind of walking through the tunnels to give the money and you've got that one cop we didn't mention who's kind of hiding in the tunnel who's staring at them yes. um and he's a he's, he's pointing a his finger there. gun at the, the train and at the same point for some reason some of the other good people start shooting i couldn't work out why everyone started shooting if i'm honest this but is I, another brilliant point of the film where just like we don't know the characters backstories and it doesn't matter we can't. We don't know everybody's name necessarily. It doesn't matter. We don't know what sets off this incident. No, no. Uh, I thought honestly, it was uh, they they established earlier, sort of casually, that the tracks sometimes like spark. spark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. I kind of thought that's what it was, honestly. Yeah. But the film never tells you. No, 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 uh, no. And if it was a modern film again, the director would probably like push in on somebody's face as they're getting nervous and they're starting to shake yeah, and there's a bead yeah, of sweat yeah, yeah, yeah. on their forehead and then he thinks about his his dead wife and then he yeah. starts shooting oh no and then someone and drops this a pipe film just like out of nowhere there's a flash there's a flash and right, everyone just starts exactly. shooting the cops are shooting at the the train and the, the, the hot yeah. lead, you know the, the terrorists are shooting back into the chat into the tunnel and stuff like that like this is the last you see of that guy that cop as well He's kind of another good thing that it sets up in the film is that this cop has been able to kind of hide in the tunnel the whole time. So he's got eyes on it. And you think that's going to be a, a way for them to kind of save the hostages. But actually, it's not. It's just it's just another plot point. It's another. Does like he get does he get injured in that scene? I don't know if he gets injured or not, but you don't see him again. It doesn't matter. No, no I don't think so. But he, he has this brilliant line. Uh, he's a black guy and he has this brilliant line, yeah. like, make sure that they know uh you know where i am because i'm 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 pretty dark so they might not they might shoot at the wrong guy or whatever which you know plays more heart wrenching uh today maybe than it than it did then but <laughs> True. just to go back to this film having having casual racism in it but maybe being a little bit more righteous than some of its brethren at the time of the yeah, film 
we can. He, do, he there is the N word earlier. We skipped over, but he does like Mr. Gray hits. Oh, uh, there, there, oh. there was an M bomb, but it was by it was by the crappy character. It's by the really racist. crappy character. Yeah, again, yeah. A bit later on with Walter Matho when he gets in the car with one of the police chiefs and he goes, "I thought you were taller." <laughs> taller. taller. I was going to say that, but <laughs> or yeah, shorter or yeah, something. Yeah. Yeah. But again, it plays it plays Mathau as an idiot. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it plays Mathau as an idiot, and that guy's like the chief of police, and that character. Um, it was actually pretty cool. He's he seems awesome, pretty smart. He? he seems pretty yeah. together. He's in charge uh, together. He doesn't make yeah, any mistakes. Yeah. He's actually he's the one who, who actually, if they'd listened to him straight away, they would have still been on scene. But it's it's Mafo who tells them no, they have right. to you have to follow the car all the way down, and because you know they can't stop the right. tr- the train without the dead man switch thing. So actually, like it's again, Mafo's right just a bit wrong, in even though he's not the kind of hero with it. Uh, that's kind of where we are now, really. Like, um... well, I mean, technically, he's not wrong because that's but obviously the the crooks figure a way to get around it, don't they? Right. That's the whole. That's the whole plot point. I think that is the plot point that is com- is different from the book. I'm not sure, but I think that's the thing they had to change. Well, in real life, I think they had to change it for real life so that people didn't get any ideas about how oh, to right. do it. <laughs> right. Uh, but I like going back to Mathau being first wrong and then right and then wrong and then right again or whatever. None of the characters feel like they're ahead of the script at any point. No. Um, um, and I know you guys have written stuff before. And one of the things that's kind of hard to do when you're writing is remember that none of the characters know what you no, know what's happen. Yeah, as, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, as yeah. the writer. And yeah. so, you know, they, they're not geniuses. They can't figure out every single move before it happens uh, or whatever else. Uh, so they're just kind of trying to react and it's those reactions that feel like as we keep saying quite real and quite bumbling and and a little bit random and a little bit um a little bit chaotic like you don't really know how it's going to play out because you don't feel like any of the characters know how it's going to play out either it's just like it's just very different from nowadays when you present this kind of stuff they like the cops and everyone like this would i think would be presented as authority figures who really know their like role and really know how to control all this but the cops but the sorry the terrorists are getting at one above them and this isn't it they don't feel like kind of super in charge or anything they just feel like they're doing a job like it's just any person doing a job they don't feel like experts or anything like that they don't sell you as experts and or anything in those kind of degrees and I like that. I like that about the film. Yeah, same. The only some of the trained people are presented sort of expert, but only in their field. Yeah, like I know about the dead man switch, or I know about yeah where this train is and and how backed up the whole line is getting all this kind of stuff. Um, and obviously the lead, uh, Quint, the lead terrorist, feels like he sounds competent because of the way he plays it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. his plan is not is kind of stupid. Yeah, it's not <laughs> in, in, yeah. in the end, really. And yeah, it's not and, like their their disguises once they've got off the train are like that amazing. They just literally take off their beards and their hats <laughs> and put a different hat on. And that's it. And I like how I uh, should we skip to the his final confrontation? Or did we miss anything? Well, I do want to say there's a really good line here by Mathau because we got like Matthew when they start moving the train again, and um and Mathau's like they're moving. Okay. Why are they moving? And someone asked them who's moving, and he goes, "What's the matter with everyone today? How many hijack chains do we have around here?" Because everyone's <laughs> questioning who's moving. Yeah, that's a yeah. Good, that was a good little bit. That was. Yeah, that was a really funny bit. It was uh, there was a lot of funny bits back and forth from that. I guess I don't know if we film. want to try and explain like the logistics of what the train is doing. 
I mean, they they basically jimmy up the train so the dead man switch can m- keep moving the train without them on it, and they get off. Really, um, what they've organised is that every red light, which would automatically stop the train, has been put onto green, so the the train won't stop because they've told them that every light have to be green. Uh, so they've just had people chasing that. Right. Which seems com- so obvious. It's basically the bit in speed where they put the brick on the accelerator, really. No, but I, I just mean like his escape plan. Once him, Jerry Stiller and Walter Matthau, maybe halfway through the film, start thinking, or start those two specifically and some other characters, how do they think they're going to get out of here? They're in yeah. a tunnel. They're surrounded. Yeah, they're going into the stupid. water. They're getting a boat. Um, yeah. Right. And and I was thinking the same thing. And the audience is supposed to. That's what that's what the film's trying to get you to do, which is super fun little mystery yeah. to try and solve. And what they do is what the villains come up with is to like, as you say, pretend the train's going, but they do this quick little stop where they get off and leave through an emergency tunnel hatch, uh, which is the only thing you could possibly do. Yeah, like there is no other there is way no. to get out of yeah, there, yeah, yeah. but Absolutely. that. They take off their uh, fake so mustaches, that's put a different hat on, done. and then go out the escape hatch. That's it. <laughs> and that's the end of the plan. But it's just well, only one of them gets to do that in the end, though. <laughs> right, because because even in a place full of morons, that plan isn't clever enough to fool everybody. <laughs> so <laughs> like I, I like that um so Matthau kind of figures it out with the police chief there and they go back to where where's their emergency stop? Is it like 17th Street, I think? Yeah. They're going south. Yeah. They're going south. Uh, and they're in like yeah. the 20s or the teens. Um, and they go back there and Matthew figures it out and he goes somehow to the... Oh, he knows where the emergency exit would be that was closest to where the train stopped. So yeah, they go to the each, subway grade like three Ollie described that would be earlier. close enough. So they Open, send I guess those can those things just be opened up? Like, Apparently. could I just walk up to a subway grate and just open it? Apparently. I thought exactly the same thing. That's, that's crazy. That is crazy crazy to me like i don't i don't believe that that's true like that sounds horrifying anyway apparently for the purposes of this film it's true i also thought when he opened that up i was like oh is that what those grates are (laughs) like i'm like i learned something today yeah yeah that's that is what they are but the fact that like any joe schmo uh can just like buy his hot dog from the guy on the bicycle and then just walk down to the fucking middle of a train tunnel through a grate Seems not super smart, not super generally, smart. Uh, to me. But no. But next time I go back, maybe I'll give it a try and I'll report back <laughs> to you guys and see what happens. I love this bit. The police cop is like uh, he, he turns uh, this thing around and burn rubber. Is what the the, um, the police of the chief shouts at the guy when they have to zoom back. It's like the most yeah. action packed bit of the movie. Got a burn. So we're forgetting to mention the. The undercover cop on the train car jumps out of the... Oh, right. I was going to say, yeah, you're right. He waits until two people have been killed, but um, and then he yeah. jumps off the train and fucks himself up royally. <laughs> Which was great move. <laughs> yeah, so basically they get off the train and then Mr. Blue shoots Mr. Grey now because he's being an asshole. That's the re- only reason he really shoots him. He won't give the gun back. Um, yeah, that's... that was pretty stupid, wasn't it? Yeah, it's all it is. There's no bigger disagreement. He just won't not take a gun so mr blue shoots right. and right. then the hobo jesus cop kind of lying on the floor shoots mr brown uh so it's right. just mr green and mr blue left um mr blue decides to go back to kill the cop on the floor while mr green escapes up the up the escape um 
just as Mr. Blue's about to kill the cop is when Molten Mathau appears and holds Mr. Blue at gunpoint. Um, with a great a great action line of, excuse me, fellow, would you mind dropping that gun and turning around, please? <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, it's amazing. Amazing. <laughs> amazing. It's amazing. This is maybe the one part of the film I, I find lacks a bit of believability <laughs> uh, in that the way, not the what Mathau says, uh, but in the the way they presented these two characters up to this point, I feel like Mr. Mercenary, who does like dark ops down yeah. in Africa, yeah. British soldier guy, would just turn around and shoot him. Yeah, yeah, would just spin around and shoot him in one. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. That's if I was him, that's what I would do. But he decides yeah. to do something else instead, Liam. What does he do? Well, he first tries to bribe Mathau, and Mathau refuses the bribe. He says his accountant right. says that he's accepted enough, but instead he slowly moves his foot to the third rail and electrocutes himself. Commits suicide. And it's That's pretty horrible. insane. It's, it's I, I feel like yeah. out of all the choices yeah, out of all the choices he had at that point, that is maybe the dumbest one. Yeah, by far. By absolute far. I don't think there was <laughs> like, any other choice. He could have just tried better. to shoot his way out if you did Yeah, yeah. Death by cop, try and shoot them both. Yeah, they would get shot if anyway. If you try and shoot your way out right. Yeah, whatever. Like maybe you're gonna die. Maybe you're gonna live. At least you have a, mm. you have a chance. Yeah, this is just crazy. <laughs> crazy decision. Anyway, it's pretty funny. It is when pretty the smoke funny. comes out of his collar. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, it's hot. it's like like the end of Batman Returns. No, I was gonna say at this point now we figured we find out that the uh, Mister Gray is a or Mister Green, sorry, is the he's like a he's a train driver himself, and so they go around visiting like all the other train conductors or train drivers. Uh, everyone who had been, all the train drivers who had been fired recently. Fired, yeah, or had like... So who would have like grievances and they na- yeah. they narrow it down to like 10 guys or something. I think it's, they narrow it down to seven guys. There is that joke when they're going through them and one of them is now a cop and Walter Matthau's like, ah, it's that one, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love, so the, uh, the film has like another kind of 15 minutes to go or whatever it is after it's been resolved. And you get this sort of series of vignettes where you're just introduced yeah. to these kind of new characters. It's pretty casual. The tension's pretty well gone because you're, you're not too relaxed, scared. <laughs> you're not too scared of this last character as an audience member. You know he's a total schlub. Yeah. Uh, so it's not really a problem. Uh, and again, the film's just ability to, as it's done the whole way through, kind of simply and casually present these amazingly detailed and realistic locations and these amazingly yeah. lived in, yeah. like short but powerful, not powerful, but short, uh, uh, exciting little performances from all these little bit actors doing these weird little, the guy in the toll booth, uh, yeah, 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 shouted yeah. at by two or three different people before they finally get to uh, Rocky's coach's house <laughs> and uh, uh, figure that out. Yeah, so he- Rocky's coach's house. Where he's where he's trying to have sex with the money. Yeah, he's just rolling around the bed in the money. Like, it's just, what are you doing? Like, Scrooge McDuck in it. He's doing. It's what I do every day before I go to sleep. Obviously. Yeah, it's the. I don't know how you guys get to sleep, but I just uh, have sex with money, and then am able to sleep very soundly after That's that. So he's so bad at this point. He's just <laughs> waiting for Walter Matthau to catch him. He want to know how it's done, and I thought because he he basically. He has all the money on the bed and he rolls it up in a blanket and stuffs it in the oven to hide it from them right. as they're knocking on his door. Then Jerry right. Stiller is insistent he has to have a cigarette, but he can't find a match. 
so he, he's going to yeah. use the oven to light his cigarette and it that's... makes so much tension out of just this stupid bit doesn't it yeah it does yeah um it's then incredible. he notices a bit of like a bit of money on the floor and he knocks it under the bed and they're about to leave and just go find somewhere else and mr green for some reason decides to argue with them I don't know, like like nervously argue with them at the door for some reason. Well, oh, he just gets, he's, he's getting angry. He's getting angry again, isn't he? It's yeah, just yeah. Another New Yorker just shouting at people. Yeah, I just got to shout at them and just to prove that I'm. It's what we got to do. It's it's like our instinct. <laughs> we just have to shout at people all the time. It's it's like having to breathe. And because he does that, that causes him to sneeze. And like earlier in the film, Multimatha says "Gesundheit," and then as he's about to leave, he pops his head round the door again and goes. <laughs> And that's the end of the film. <laughs> we for, we forgot to set up the. Oh no, we didn't. We set up that this guy had been sneezing over the microphone. Yeah, yeah. During yeah. the uh, the heart and backbone of the film, which is the radio conversations between uh, Quint and Walter Matthau. Yeah. Uh, and that's how Walter Matthau figures it out and throws his big ass ugly mug right <laughs> into that camera. <laughs> <laughs> looking like an absolute king I laughed absolutely soddedly that that was the last shot I just, I just loved it like, it, and just, it doesn't need anything more I know exactly what no. happens after that it's it's set everything right. up perfectly for me I don't need to see them take him away or, or anyone pat Walter Matthau on the back and say good job or you know, no. or them to have a gun this fight is, this, or is, like this is like where this film diverges from its like 70s crime New York movies yeah. In that it has a lighthearted joke of an ending where, you know, the good guy does gets gets the guy or whatever. Uh, unlike most of the other ones that have pretty cynical endings or uh, tragic endings. Uh, it was nice. I, I thought it was going to end horribly. That was my assumption when mm. the film began, uh, just based on the genre and the time. And uh, as we've said, the film was way funnier than I was expecting. Yeah, it is. Uh, a lot, a lot lighter hearted, generally speaking. And ends with this goofy comedy note, which okay. shouldn't work, really, but it's hilarious. But it does. You don't yeah, get that from the poster. Work. The poster, no, like, the... the poster's wicked, but it's like from point of view from inside looking in the train. Yeah. And it's just got like guns and chaos going on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, how good was the, oh, we missed this. When they're driving, um, Matthau and the cops are driving to get back to um 17th street or whatever they passed that flipped car that had flipped earlier in the film oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. very briefly brilliant casual callback the the car that had been bringing the money down from the bank had flipped over like liam had said and that happened 25 minutes ago in the film or something uh and then the cars are going back and forth through manhattan and they had like the presence of mind to film a quick shot of them driving past that bit like, you know, later in the movie to remind you that this is all happening, like in the space of 10 minutes or whatever. Yeah. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff. I I mean, what you guys like reviews, you know, if you're going to rate it, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I, I think it was a very it. fun movie. It was just enjoyable. I'm not going to say it's the greatest film I've ever seen, but I just had a. It, it did what it said on the tin. Do you know what I mean? It, it, yeah. You can't fault it for doing exactly what it's supposed to do and doing it really yeah, well yeah I, I want to say like delightfully eco- economical i mean that like in a night in a really good way like it, yeah, it yeah. doesn't waste anything for me it just it, it has everything there it's just a solid film yeah i think it's it's it does slightly not like masterpiece level but it does uh rise again rise above the sum of its parts yeah i guess yeah because yeah. uh, each individual like craftsperson is just do- having such a fun time it feels like 
and doing such great work from the cinematographer and editor that we mentioned and the director and the actors and bringing that New York kind of authenticity. I think that yeah. rises it up past it, just yeah. being a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I went all the way to four and a half stars personally. Yeah, I could do that. I, yeah. I, I thought four would be, be okay too. Cause it, it isn't like a, an emotional artistic masterpiece like Badlands or, or Barry Lyndon or anything, but uh, it's really great. <laughs> yeah. It's really no, I'd give it four. That's fair. But yeah, but I, I enjoyed it. I, it also had a hilarious credit, a few hilarious credits. Uh, there's someone in the cast whose last name was Pelham, uh, which I thought was funny. <laughs> surely they hired them just because of that, though, surely. I, assu- I assume. Uh, one of the hostages uh, is credited, their character is called simply the homosexual. <laughs> oh, oh, God. And I... <laughs> I have no idea because that was my <laughs> that was my same reaction. I was like, "Wait a minute, who was quote unquote the homosexual?" Like, was there a character that was that you know much of a stereotype for the time period? That no. much of a stereotype that I was supposed to have noticed? I don't know. That's weird. Uh, my wife's theory is it was the guy uh, with the pimp hat who got clocked in the mouth by the racist. I thought uh, that's the one I immediately thought of, but that's her theory. But I'm not sure. No. Let's go back. We have to go back. We have to go back to the island. <laughs> yeah. The host- I didn't realise this. The hostages are literally all the... So the, yeah. the pimp, that'll be that guy. Oh, that's got to be... Then who's the homosexual The woman? alcoholic, the Spanish woman, the older son, the old man, the hooker, the salesman, the delivery boy, the secretary, the homosexual, the mother, the maid. <laughs> what? Incredible. Horrible. Like... Absolutely awful. Oh, the hippie, <laughs> the wasp. I know which one the wasp is. And then, yeah, that's all the passengers. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So just some classic stereotyping going on there. Yeah. Beautiful stuff. Beautiful stuff. Thank you, 1970s. We have to, wait, can we get a picture of the the quote-unquote homosexual up? I feel like gross just even saying it that way. It's Gary, it's Gary Bowling. It's Gary Bowling. And there's no picture from Tennessee. uh, the, The pride of Kingsport, Tennessee. Oh, he is a black guy. He was in he was in Kojak one time. I'm, I'm gonna look. I can't. Um, you can't find him. I've got a picture of him. What's he look like? He's a black guy with a mustache. That doesn't help. There's a few. I'm gonna have to watch the film again. <laughs> we gotta like narrow I can't it down. Like you introduce of... this plot point right now. <laughs> You're gonna like narrow him down like a game of Clue to try and figure <laughs> yeah. out yeah. which yeah. one's which. <laughs> I can't believe yeah. that's the name of them in the credits. That's amazing. It, yeah, it's pretty bad. That's going to go on my list of like most seventies, <laughs> most seventies occurrence ever. Yeah, of this marathon, like as an award. It's the is, there's a guy on the tube who is a black guy in a leather coat who isn't the kind of pimp guy who isn't the one with the fist on his. Like yes, fist patch, the one with the yeah. fist on him. Yeah, it's him. That's Gary Bowling. Really? Oh, yeah. Really? Because I thought they would have called him like the Black Panther or something. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what, what that's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's what that is. But that's that is the actor. So wow. that's weird. I was a big fan of like the lesbians who were meditating and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. They, they were, were cool. hilarious. They were really funny. I liked them a lot. I liked. Uh, I'm, I'm just assuming based on how stereotypy this movie is that it was continuing being really, really stereotypy yeah. with those characters. Sorry to the people. Yeah. Uh, who I just offended massively by being a schmuck, uh, but yeah, the film the film was like that. On that note, well done, seventies for stereotyping <laughs> everybody so much.
So, Liam, what are we talking about next week? Uh, next week, we're... Oh, we're talking Barry Lyndon. We mentioned already. Hold on to your asses. Hold on to your oh, asses. I'm it's genuinely quite nervous about watching this. Yeah, I'm nervous Not about nervous. Cover room. It's We'll cover the man himself, and also it's a very daunting time length of a film. Oh, how it's long, long it? but honestly, it's also one of those films that is more enjoyable than people that you believe. Okay, okay. Cool. Like, it's quite funny. Uh, in places and uh, it's long but every single second is gorgeous awesome. I'm looking forward to it I'm looking forward to it but um, thank you again for joining us Brandon um, yeah, it's awesome my pleasure and um, hopefully uh, you'll come I... back at some point as well do I get to be back for the awards show? Sure. yes yeah we'll have you back for the awards show that'd be wonderful yeah I'll watch I'll, I'll watch the rest of them and we'll uh, then see you in the next miniseries as well cause... but yeah Ooh. we'll have you back for the awards show that'd be awesome all right. Happy. Good luck editing this shit, Ollie. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my best. I, I know you can. I, I have how, faith in you. I don't know how the Pelham episode became one of our longest episodes, but you know. Here yeah. we I, are. I, well, it's it's my fault. I'm sure. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm the worst. Well, you'd be pleased to know I didn't bring up the five seventeen to Paris, which I was going to. So we could just move on. I don't know what that means. It's Clint Eastwood's movie about the train hijack that came out. <laughs> oh, okay. <years> ago. <laughs> Yes, where they had the real <laughs> when they had the real people doing them. Yeah, I wanted to like I was gonna. I'm not gonna mention. It. Oh, wasn't that? Did that come out like in the last few years? Yeah, yeah, yeah 2018 when they had the actual right. people who stopped the hijacking as yeah, playing themselves, and I just oh, like God. I just loved how that was be- trying to be realistic and was completely not. And this, you know, it nails it by not yeah, doing what well, Clint Eastwood's the, the reason. The reason is that actually Clint Eastwood's a terrible filmmaker for the most part. That's yeah, true, but the mule exists, so. No. I haven't seen that one because I hate and all, all and of his moves. And American Masterpiece. Uh, Unforgiven's okay. Anyway, <laughs> thank you all for listening. And uh, don't forget, you can always follow us on Twitter. We are Adjust Your Track. That's a YR, not a your. We're also on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, wherever else you can find good podcasts. And yeah, don't forget, if the picture's bad, always adjust your tracking. 